Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. As always, I'm JT, and I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope that you've had an enjoyable Christmas and New Year's time. I hope that you've got to spend time with your loved ones, that you enjoyed all of the joys that come with the season. I hope you're not too snowed in, many of you in the Northern Hemisphere. I know there are many areas that have gotten quite a bit of snow this year, and then there are others like us that had quite a warm couple of weeks being in the Southern Hemisphere. So yeah, folks, I hope that you had a great time. I'm going to keep the intro to the show tonight very brief because it's just an excellent conversation to jump straight into. I'm not going to do a News of the Dam segment here. Probably what's going to happen, folks, is that later in the week I'll release a bit of a news episode. There's quite a bit that I haven't really gotten to that I want to cover, and it just keeps getting pushed back. And so I'll probably just do a standalone News of the Damned episode for you this week. And then also you'll hear throughout this conversation me talking about some of the prognosticators that I want to cover over. And then, of course, you've got the listeners' predictions for 2021. So what I'm going to do is uh, I do have my predictions in this episode, but I will cover over those listener predictions in the prognosticator kind of addendum to this episode. So we're looking at, like I say, a follow-up episode to this. It'll be a lot shorter than your average episode's but I may even just include uh, the news of the damned and wrap it all up together. So it's basically one more episode until the end of this season, and then I'm going to take a well-deserved break. I've been very busy, my friends. Now, lately, I've been quite lazy, and I've been relaxing and enjoying a bit of time off, but it's been a very hectic and a very busy year for the program and for myself. So... I'm looking at, we're most likely looking at two to three weeks off. I'm not sure exactly right now, but rest assured that that won't be like a three-week vacation for me. I've got a lot of things I need to do. I've got some interviews that I need to get edited. I need to pull together information to do some shows, and I want to have shows lined up and ready to hit the floor running with Season 3 of The Paranormal Sun. Now, on the episode that you're going to hear tonight, I had... Two excellent guests. I said it a couple times on the episode. I couldn't ask for a better panel, and that's 100% true. So Timmy from Ace of Cups rejoined me, and Dave from the Old 77 came on board as well. So uh, big thank you to both of them for making the time to come on the program. It was really a great episode. I really enjoyed doing it, and they did as well. Now, Timmy is running a very special tarot reading for 2021. So for only $21, my friends, you can get a tarot card for each one of the 12 months. So 21 bucks for 12 cards. Now I know other tarot readers who are charging 100 bucks for 10 or 120 for 12. I can tell you me personally, I've found a lot of value in what Timmy does. So I will be booking if I were you and if ever there was a time you wanted to try I would encourage you now to book that special deal. You've only got a few more days. I think it's good until the 5th of January, the offer. But just go and find Timmy on Instagram, and you can get in touch with her. Tell her JT sent you. Now, the program kind of jumps in to us talking about 
what kind of documentaries we've been watching. Unfortunately, my friends, I had a bit of technical difficulties with the first 10 or 15 minutes of the episode we recorded, so it didn't save properly the program that I use. The website crashed, and it didn't save the very beginning. So as I say, it's Timmy from Ace of Cups Readings and Dave from the Old 77. So yeah, sorry, there's no introduction bit there. So my friends, I hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope you have a great week. And like I say, look out for a couple more probably coming your way this week, maybe into next week. But I'll definitely be doing you a new segment because there's several things I want to discuss. And there are some things that I haven't got a chance to go over that people have been asking me what my opinions are on some of these subjects. As always, if you want to support the show, you can start out by telling anyone that you know that you think that would enjoy this program. Tell them. Tell them to check out The Paranormal Sun. Tell them about this crackpot down here in New Zealand that's broadcasting about all these strange subjects. By all means, word of mouth is great. You can go and like and review the program on any of the pod sites where you might be listening. I know they don't all have opportunities to review them. I know Apple does. I'm not sure about the other ones, but you can go on there. You can also go and support the Paranormal Sun on Instagram. You can also find the Paranormal Sun on Twitter. You can find the Paranormal Sun Facebook group on Facebook. That's a closed group. But if you just answer a few questions, you'll be in like Flynn. Now, the best way to find all of the other things, like I say, is just go and find the Paranormal Sun on Instagram, and then there's a link in the bio that will take you anywhere else you want to go. If you'd like to support the program further, if there's something you'd like to send me, if you want to send me a book or a letter or something to watch, anything like that, feel free. There is a link to the P.O. Box in that link on Instagram. I don't have it right in front of me right now, folks. You can also support the program through Patreon. You can also support the program from the Paranormal Sun website, or you can search it on Buy Me a Coffee. I've got an account set up over there as well. Probably the easiest way for you is just to go to theparanormalsun.com, and there you can find the PayPal link where you drop a few dollars in the coin box if you value what I do and you'd like to support the program. Every dollar helps, and it will all help me continue to put out this kind of content. The show isn't free to produce. I'm doing my absolute best, my friends, to put out good content for you, but every dollar helps, and I do appreciate any donations to the program. Aside from that, sit back, relax, get yourself a nice adult beverage, and enjoy this awesome conversation that I had with Timmy from Ace of Cups and Dave from The Old 77. Thank you both, and to everyone out there, Enjoy your holidays. I know they're wrapping up, but enjoy it, and I'll talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed by guests on The Paranormal Sun are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoint or the position of JT, The Paranormal Sun, or Tower Studios New Zealand. That's it, Dave. That was the first one that came to mind to me was uh, Phenomenon. Yeah, that, that was really well done, I thought. They did a good job of doing what I try to do on the program, which is they covered the really famous cases, but they did a good job at pointing out some of the other cases that are really excellent and have a lot of merit to them, but that aren't quite so well known. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the big thing for me that separates that one from so many of the other 
uh, UFO documentaries that we get is just the insane number of very credible people yeah. that 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 were that were featured on that. These were not just you know random citizens that that saw weird things. We're talking senators and high-ranking military officials and people who are putting their reputations on the line to to talk about any of this stuff. So yeah, that one's at the top of my list for for this year. No, definitely. To me, it, it had everything, like you say. Not only was it good cases, but it was very well done. The narration, everything, the uh, artist renditions, it was all really good. It wasn't kind of that corny, uh, let's rehash somebody's rendition from 20 years ago. It all seemed to be new, updated, and it, and, and I agree. That, that was really good. I'd seen some of the older ones a few years ago that I really liked as well, Dave. Uh, you've probably seen these, but um, I know what I saw. That's yep. an that's an excellent one, and you can find that on YouTube. And the mm -hmm. other one was Out of the Blue. Have you seen that one? I believe I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and those were very similar episodes. I think that they even had the same narrator. Yeah, I, I want to say it was the same person or the same people that did both of those. Yeah, Th mm -hmm. those were really good, folks. Uh, sorry, we had a bit of uh, audio technical issues, probably due to me being a audio chromagna. But uh, Tim, Timmy, Timmy was saying that uh, she really enjoyed The Last Dance uh, about the Chicago Bulls. And I agree with that. That was a, an excellent documentary series for me. Dave was saying that he was a big Bulls fan because his uh, last name's Jordan. I grew up, Dave, uh, Scott and I obviously went to school in central Illinois. And yeah. I remember <laughs> I, I was actually the anti-Bulls person, and the reason I was uh -huh. was that, number one, everybody in school, the the biggest problem I had, not just with the Bulls, but with teams in general, whoever was the hot team, like when Dallas won the three uh, Super Bowls, everybody was all of a sudden a Dallas fan. Yeah. When, yeah, when the Bulls got good, all of a sudden, everybody was a Bulls fan. And for me, I mean, my team sucked, and they've now that's not true in hindsight now. But at the time, like uh, I was a big, I was a big uh, bird fan, Dave, growing up, uh -huh, as you would uh -huh. expect. And then uh, later on, I was a big Charles Barkley fan and a Clyde Drexler <laughs> fan. And Jordan, to me, was always one of those guys that I never, I never hated him. I hated what he did because he always beat my teams. But I always, <laughs> <laughs> always respected him. I, I never had a problem with him. And I had made up my mind by the mid to late nineties. I was really into sports card collecting and that, and. By that time, I, I had it in my mind that Jordan was the best that we'd seen up to that point, definitely. And so uh, I'd say I'm still pretty entrenched in that view. No offense to anyone who's come past, but it's just like I, I heard somebody saying the other day about how LeBron's going to, his stats are going to make Jordan look so bad. But the thing is, in their careers, Jordan already retired two or three years before right. LeBron's right. career right now. So you can't compare apples and oranges in my mind. And the league was different back then. Things that you you can get away with now. Back then, for example, they, they always hand-checked players. You didn't have that free movement. And I remember when they took away the hand-checking, I remember Michael Wilbon, Dave, saying that um, mm -hmm. Jordan would score 60 a night now, you know, with no hand-checking. Right. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think... Th I think there's a good argument to be made that if he hadn't have retired that first time, the Bulls oh, yeah. totally would have won eight championships in a row. Oh I think. yeah, a hundred percent. Is that like the top of his game? Yeah, exactly. I, I would say I would. In my mind, I would say seven is pretty hard to argue. Eight possible, but seven 
to me for sure. I I just don't see them. The the teams at that time, I mean, Houston was very good, but they didn't yeah. have anyone that could guard him. I mean, Elijah Wan, and they were more based on that low post. And although those guys might have given them fits, um, it didn't stop the Bulls from beating teams like the Knicks, who had Ewing, who's a Hall of Famer. It didn't stop them from beating all the other teams in the East that had great centers. So I just yeah. wouldn't see them. Yeah, wouldn't see them beating them. You know what I wish they would have had a little bit more of in that series, though. You hear a lot about like his Jordan's imaginational technique and that kind of thing. Like obviously they show he's a very hard worker. He really wants to win. But have you you heard that stuff that like you know he imagines it going into the basket before he shoots it, like that kind of like thinking almost magical thinking. I kind of had thought they would go into that a little bit, but they really didn't. Yeah, and I wish they would have too, because that's all that is very interesting to me, just to kind of mm -hmm. take a peek, take a peek behind the curtain and and see what's actually going on in, in somebody's mind. Right, and it's like very practical manifestation. You know what I mean? Like you always think about like, oh, just people who practice magic or whatever do it, but like we can all do that. You just have to have the right mindset. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Tiger Woods, uh, yeah. at least yes. in his younger yeah. days, was was one that was big into uh, the Zen thinking uh -huh. and the visualization, and and uh, no, Jackson. I think there's yeah, Phil Jackson, right? Exactly, yeah. he's a big Zen guy, um, and oh, I think there's definitely something to that. I I think uh, you know, I think if nothing else, it gives you an edge confidence wise, oh, um, yeah. but I think there's probably even something more to it, even beyond that too. Yeah, there's a reason why there's a reason why some of the best to ever do what they did used that technique. Well, uh, the the thing about Jordan, I think, Dave, personally, just from my it's not like I know the guy, but I just feel like he's one of those guys that even though he's retired, he's been out of the league for quite a long time. He'll always be one of those people that he's the magician that doesn't want to show all his tricks. And mm. even though he's long retired, I just think that there that might have been part of the reason behind it is that he just doesn't want to give away the game or how he pushed himself. Because I, I remember when he turned 50, there was an article I read about it, about him, and it was just saying he was so competitive even then, even after retiring, that he'd make bets with people. This is when he was... I think he was more on the management side with Charlotte. Uh, obviously, he had an ownership stake, but he'd make bets with players in practice, big money bets about how many free throws in a row they could make. And it's just that competitive nature of his. I just think that he never wants to show all his cards. Right. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Uh, yeah, even today. Talk talk about a guy that uh, supposedly gambled a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But but hey, when you're the best basketball player in the world, and and when you've got, you've got it, yeah, you, when you've got it, you know, heck, I, I I probably would have been doing the same thing if I was him. Right. Unfortunately, the Jordan basketball <laughs> genes didn't carry down to me. So, yeah. Well, um, my my cousin played in the major leagues for quite a while, Dave, and uh, I didn't get any of those genes either. So don't feel Aww. bad. <laughs> Who was your cousin? Ron Tingley. He was a he was a catcher. He probably his biggest claim to fame was that he was the opening day catcher when the Florida Marlins had their first game, their inaugural season in '93. I want to say mm -hmm. he he had a he had a good career. I mean he was he was a league average player for a long time. He stayed in the league for ten or twelve years, so you know he, he wasn't a one or two year guy, but he was definitely a defensive catcher, and that was back in the '80s and '90s when that was much more what was expected from the position. Exactly. It was not an offensive position. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm I'm looking at him right now. I'm looking at his stats. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. It's yeah. it's one of those it's one of those things. He's probably he's the only person in my in in my dad's family that I know of that's got a claim to fame. That's not a negative claim to fame. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, he didn't. He doesn't have a long uh, prison sentence on his rap sheet or anything. <laughs> no, no. He. Uh, my understanding was that he was. Uh, so I had an uncle in Southern California that I could never find when I moved there, unfortunately, because he was a multimillionaire. <laughs> so, so yeah. I never found. I never found that uncle. But um, yeah, that was uh, my uncle Les's son. Nice, nice. Got it. So Timmy, you uh, you do. Uh, tarot readings right i do yeah okay how did you get into that oof um i my mom bought me a deck when i was in high school so that's when i first and i was always like kind of into that stuff just in general but Mm -hmm. um i i would use it kind of like as a party trick for a very long time like in college or whatever i'd be like do you Uh want me to read your tarot but i wasn't super serious into it um until like three years ago or so and I started using it basically as a like kind of a a self-improvement slash self-reflection tool like a journal prompt pulling a card every day Uh, and it really really helped a lot and at one point then I was like doing readings for my family and friends and stuff and my partner one day was like you should like do this you should offer readings to other people too and I thought about it I was like yeah I should um, and then cool. there, there you go. So I love it. I think it's a great, yeah, a, a great tool to look at your at the actions of your past, your present, and what you might like to do in the future. So well, I might need to, I might need to use your services sometime then because I've never done it before and I've oh I've no, to. it's super helpful. I did well, um. It hasn't come out yet, but uh, JT and I recorded an episode not that long ago, and I did a reading for him on the recording. Yeah, it's, and uh, now you have your own deck and stuff, yes, right? Like yes. now you're like in it, you're doing it. No, nice. No, yeah, definitely. How, so, how was your? How did your reading go, JT? Yeah, it it was one of those things where, like I say, I I try to keep an open mind on everything, and I didn't really go in. Uh, with a bias either way. Honestly, uh-huh. I didn't go in thinking, oh, this is going to have all the answers. And I also didn't go in saying, oh, well, this is just some cards. How can anyone see it? So honestly, I went in with a very neutral attitude. All mm-hmm. of these things I'm quite interested in because I personally am, I'm interested in our will or our mental abilities. One of the things that I mentioned on the episode and I've I've got to go back and track down the study, but there was a study done in the U.S. in the 60s or 70s at a university, and they basically got some volunteers, and it was kind of 20 or 30 volunteers, something like that. And they had the old, uh, the the random number generators, the old ones that would either generate a one or a zero, and then they would tell the people in this control group, try and influence it, try and get it to show more ones or more zeros. And it was a pretty significant amount. It was like, say, 53 or 57 percent. Yeah, came up. Whereas over the long term, you should have had fifty uh, fifty or very close to it. And in right. fact, the control group came up with something like fifty point one versus forty nine point nine. And it yeah. wasn't done over a, a a case of half an hour. It was done over days. And yeah. yeah. And to me, I always love it when people say, "Oh, well, there's no scientific proof of any of this." 
Well, if you look, there is. Um, there is. There yeah. definitely yeah. is. There's a there's a great book called The Conscious Universe. I don't know if you guys have ever seen seen that or read that book. I, I haven't um, read. It. I've heard of it though. Oh, it, it's a great book because uh, that's that's the the entirety of the book is just laying out all of the scientific evidence that we do have. Um, and they mentioned that phenomenon specifically that you were mentioning, JT, with the random number generators. Right. That's in that mm-hmm. book. And and it's not it's all different types of phenomena. They talk about remote viewing right. and they talk about precognitive abilities, psychic abilities. You know, it runs the gamut, all of these. And the kind of the conclusion that the book comes to is that all of these phenomenon are um, they're kind of almost the same thing that, you know, they're all part of a of a bigger right. um a bigger ability that we have to tap into an intelligence higher than our own. Edgar Casey, who most people have heard the name Edgar Casey, at least they've they've heard his name. And I'll give a bit of a background on him a little later on in the show, folks. But Edgar Casey truly believed that what he was tapping into and what a lot of other people who have past life regressions and kind of these deja vu moments and that he really believed that we were tapping into the Akashic Record, which is basically a recording somewhere in the universe of everything that's ever happened. And right. that's how people were getting, they, they were almost, most people, there are some people who claim that they can basically have unfettered ex- access, but the general person tends to have these kind of moments of clarity or yes. a moment, like you were saying, where it might be something like uh, you go horseback riding for the first time and then people start having this flashback of going, this seems so familiar. And then maybe they'll start having a little bit more of a memory about it. Maybe they were a warrior or maybe they were riding somewhere in Europe. And oftentimes most people, and you can't blame anyone, most people just go, well, that's a bit of an odd thought that I've just had. And they go on with their lives and they really don't put a lot mm-hmm. of stock into it. To to me, doing the the reading... There's probably out of all of the different uh, subjects like this, probably the one thing that I personally just don't feel comfortable going into is the Ouija board. And we've <laughs> we've we've had these talks before. It's just me. I, I personally, I would at least if if I did, I w- it would be a very cautious exploration. But as far yeah. as tarot and that, I do kind of laugh when people will say, oh, well, it's got to be tied in with this. But it doesn't. And my personal opinion and, and what I saw, my reading was 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 very good. And folks, it, it is out. I gave it a, a kind of an odd name to the episode, but it tied into the, the cards that Timmy pulled during the reading. I think it was like a cup for an emperor and a fool because those were some of the cards that were involved. It was, to me, there were definitely things, Dave, that Timmy brought up from interpreting the cards that she couldn't have known because we'd never discussed them and I don't really make them public. And again, it's as Timmy said, this is why I've really enjoyed my conversations with Timmy and being involved. It's as she says, she's the first one to come out and say it's not what people think. It's not like an oracle to tell you tomorrow at six o'clock, a guy in a black car is going to pull in your drive and bring you chocolates. It's nothing like that. It's much more about those general themes and potential outcomes versus this is what's going to happen. And we all know that old trope where you'll turn on the TV show and it's uh, Columbo or something else. They go to the tarot reader and they get the death card and then they walk out and they get shot by someone. That's right. Yeah, that's that's not how it works. And yeah. and as Timmy said, I've definitely been more and more intrigued by it. And everything that, in my personal opinion, I've done readings for others, Timmy. And 
They've all either said at the time, wow, that really resonates, or later on, I didn't necessarily know how that came into it. But yeah, I've definitely seen the impact of that. And in fact, my correspondent in Texas, Mm. (laughs) I'll basically pull a card of the day for her. And that's what she said. Oh, now I want to get a tarot deck. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm all about it. Like everyone should have a deck. Because if you're interested, because it's, it is very, very helpful. Right. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by it. So so if, if one wants to enlist your services, uh, Timmy, how, how does one go about that? Well, so, oh, you're doing like free advertising for me. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. So I do have a website, aceofcupsreadings.com. You can book appointments with me directly there. You can also just DM me on Instagram, and my handle is aceofcupsreadings, and I have a lot of offerings on there as well. I also do daily readings usually. I yeah. took the last couple of days off, but I do usually daily readings and weekly readings for the general public on my instagram channel okay tell me what's your instagram handle one more time sure ace of cups readings okay cool i found your website so i'm on there and so and that links to my instagram also on the bottom if you scroll down okay cool all right i found you cool i'll follow you cool all right i'll follow you back (laughs) sweet sweet and and timmy also does something dave that i know you'd be interested in being the musician timmy Uh will match music with readings yeah yeah i i do musical tarot that's what i call it okay so elaborate on that a little bit please so really so far it's just been i i pick a specific card and i find a song that i feel like speaks to that or embodies that in some way and then i perform a cover of it i am a i actually that's what i went to school for i'm a trained singer and pianist and a teacher um and so I'll I'll do a cover so, cover song where I play and sing, and then I do a little chat about the card and how it relates to the song. That's awesome. So I teach I teach music too. I'm a guitar teacher. Oh, what style? Now, like classical guitar, jazz? Just whatever you know. I I mostly teach kiddos for the most part. So yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> you know, I but I do teach adults too. But it's it's mostly kiddos and. Uh, I try to tailor my lessons to each student. You know, that's the beautiful thing about doing one-on-one lessons is that yeah. you, can, you can go at that at that person's pace. Um, so, yeah, I love doing it. Music is like uh, the center of my life, really. It's like the most important thing in my life other than, you know, my wife and my family and my kids. Um, yeah. And it's funny, you know, you were mentioning, um, what did you say that it was your partner that kind of convinced you to get into doing it uh, actually as a career? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He really was very encouraging um, yeah. in that, you know, it was some, cause sometimes you don't always see like what you have to offer yeah. as clearly as like someone from the outside, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny the same way. Like I'm 38 years old and I haven't, it's only been in the past, like maybe four years where I've gotten to the point where the majority of the money that I make is actually from either playing music or teaching um, mm-hmm. and so I'm kind of proud of myself for, for reaching that because there's not a lot of people that oh, can yeah. say that they get paid to, to yeah. do things that they love to do. So I'm, I'm I super always, thankful. I always have said that too. I mean, I, I, that's what I went to school for and I've always felt very proud and, um, lucky that I've been able to make my living 
through yeah. music, performing and teaching and like now tarot, which I also love to do. So, yeah. So I when I'm not teaching guitar uh, or playing guitar, my other job is sports radio. So basically I get paid to listen to college football all day long. <laughs> Oh, so me bringing up the last dance was like perfect then, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. different sport, but well, I do basketball too. Oh, okay. Basketball there you too. go. Yeah. We do basketball, baseball, football, um, hockey, all of that stuff. So I'm kind of like the guy that's in the background. Like I work with the, with the play by play guy, but I'm kind of like mm-hmm. the guy, the guy in the background that like I'm capturing, I'm capturing highlights, firing off all the commercial breaks and stuff. So it's a cool little behind the scenes. Uh, look that I get to have um, in that job. I love it. It's a nice. fun job. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, I don't know about you like guys, it. but I've had a, I've had my fair share of jobs that I absolutely hated. <laughs> you know, you'd have those jobs that you just dread going to every single day, and yeah. So to so to come out on the other side of that, man, it's it's. I could be making a lot more money doing something else, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. be as happy as I am now. Right. Because in your third, when you get into your like mid thirties or even like early thirties, I feel like all of a sudden you're like, oh, my time is worth more than the money. Right. Yeah. You have, you have, your sense of self value changes. um, Yeah. When you've got that, that perspective. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, Dave. I actually, before I started doing this and I really didn't know what to expect, but before this, if you would have kind of said to me, oh, what's what's your passion? Cooking was one of the top things was was cooking. I love to be in the kitchen. I love to uh, create things. And really, for me, I really like people to enjoy what I cook. And that's right. the key to me is that I, I want them to enjoy what I produce. But early on in my life, I worked in the food industry. And in fact, I ended up working in it about 20 years. But early on doing it for a living, it actually started to uh, blunt that enjoyment. And right. so I'm I'm glad I took a step back and I didn't like go and go to chef school, culinary school and pursue it further because I think it would have gotten all I'm saying is I fully agree with you. Doing what you love is is awesome, but sometimes it can be just as valuable to say, well, I don't really want to ruin the enjoyment of this by right. doing it all day and then going home and then I know what would have happened. It would have started becoming a chore every night when I'd have to cook instead of mm. being something that I actually really looked forward to. So, right. Um, and, and you're right, man. I, I probably had, I probably held 40 to 50 different roles at 20 to 30 different companies throughout my life. I'm a workaholic. And I mean, oftentimes in my life, I've worked two or three roles at once, but mm-hmm. uh, I definitely, with all this time off at first, it, it was a bit strange because I'm so used to being at work. But now, like you say, I, I do value my time. And and I've had roles that I could have went and taken a part-time minimum wage job or whatever. And it's really come down to, well, are you guys starving? Are you not paying the bills? Well, no, things are okay. So you don't have to jump on the first garbage scow that comes along. Right. Mm-hmm. It can be choosy. Yes. Yeah, that's the same thing for me. You know, I used to... I used to search for jobs that I thought um, that I thought would make people perceive me a, a certain way, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, like I did the I did the whole like business degree, but yeah. that's like the last that's the last field that somebody like me should ever be in, you know. <laughs> but it took me, you know, thirty plus years to kind of figure that out on my own. Oh, it's 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 the same with me. I spent the last 
10 to 15 years in management, business management, uh, logistics, distribution, all of that. The main thing that I really enjoyed was building teams, uh, mentoring people, seeing them grow, seeing them learn. But as far as the actual kind of cutthroat side of business, I never enjoyed it. Mm. I'm it's it's at the end of the day, I'd always find a way to justify it in my mind, but it's not my it's not my natural place to be the type of person who's like, well, we got to squeeze out every ounce of productivity and make every dollar uh, no matter what, no matter how we may earn that money. So whether it's kind of whipping people to come into work when they're sick, everything else. And so, like I say, definitely there are things that I miss about interacting with people, but there are lots of things about the business world I don't necessarily miss not being a part of right now. Yeah, I yeah. can relate. I can relate, man. I I did sales for a while. Oh, Talk about like a, oh, yeah. a cutthroat business oh, where... Yeah. Mm everybody's kind of out to get you, you know, everybody's kind of competing against everybody else. And that's one of the nice things about podcasting is by and large, people in the podcast community support one another and give each other shout outs. And uh, seems like, seems like people in this crowd, um, generally speaking, they try to lift one another up and um, you don't always get that. Yeah, I would say the same thing about like readers in general, like terror, the terror reading community. And every once in a while, you get people that aren't like that. But for them, by and large, everyone's very supportive of one another, which was a really, really great thing to discover when I kind of like came out of the closet, so to speak, is right. like, I'm a reader, you know? Right. Yeah. And I'm sure that was probably like, kind of a, uh, a probably a very big moment for you when you you know, made that decision. Okay. I'm going to take this, you know, I'm going to do this actually as a living. It's a big step to take, especially in a field, especially in a field like that, where not everybody necessarily is going to respect what you do. There's going to be a lot of people that there's going to be a lot of naysayers. So you have to, you kind of have to work around that and not allow that aspect of it to, to bother you. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I like to be very, and JT knows this, I like to be fairly practical about it, like in the way Uh I deal with people. So even when I have people that are maybe a little bit skeptical, I mean, I start off by giving the whole spiel about, yes, we can predict something to a certain degree, but you can make choices and anything can change that whole thing. Um, so I'm, I'm not setting anybody up to be like, well, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen, but that it's more of a place for them to work on themselves. I mean, and that's really, I look at myself as a healer whose job is to help facilitate time for self care of others. You know what I mean? Like when someone books an appointment with me, they're basically booking that time for themselves to work on themselves, which is everybody needs that more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm jealous of you uh, to be no. able to, to do something like that. And, um, you know, I feel like I feel like I doing what I'm doing. I'm able to make a difference in people's lives. Um, you do. Music teachers make a difference. Like, you know what? And it's very similar. To, I always think from teaching my private lessons and stuff and even teaching, you know, I also direct children's theater as well. Um oh. And, and like being a teacher and that kind of figure for young, younger people, especially, it's like very similar than doing to doing a tarot reading for someone, you're just there to support them, and like help them grow, yes, as a musician and an artist, but also as um, a person, my main job as a teacher, I always feel like, because I always, because I'm helping them grow as a person. Yeah, and I know that like, not every student that I have is going to um, do music as a career, but I feel Mm -hmm. like. I feel like if I'm able to spark 
in a love or an interest or a love in uh, in music. I feel like if I can at least do that with each and every one of my students, I feel like I've succeeded. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, that I, I mean, that was really the reason why I decided at the end of the day to start the programs. Dave was the same. Um, some people might find it as kind of uh, narcissistic, but to me, it was like, what am I going to leave behind when I'm gone? And the reality was not a whole lot, really. I mean, yeah, there would be people who might think fondly of me and everything else, but what was I going to kind of leave in the public venue? And the answer was nothing. So I thought, well, what have I got to lose? And the first program obviously started out very much with that in mind of trying to help people compare notes, talk about some of the things I've gone through in life, some of the things that I found have been therapeutic and helpful. And music is definitely one of those things that, as with anything, you've got to be quite careful with what you're taking in, because if you're just taking in negativity all of the time, then that can switch your thought patterns as well. But music is an amazing therapy to me. And it's also, uh, I said this to Timmy on uh, our last uh, conversation, is to me, a music is a time machine. All of us can listen to a song, a certain song, and be taken back to a certain time or think of a certain person much clearer than just your thoughts. If I sit here and I start going, start thinking about high school, I'll kind of have vague thoughts. But if I hear a certain song that came out while I was in high school, I can remember who I was with, what we were doing, kind of what was going on in my life at the moment. So yeah, right. music is an amazing mm -hmm. tool, I think. It's very powerful. Um, yep. mu music and smells. There's something oh, yeah. about a certain smell that will take you right back to a certain place in, in time. Yeah. Um, Sense memory. And it's, and it's interesting. I'm sure, Timmy, you know, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard the, the stories of uh, older patients with Alzheimer's that, mm -hmm. um, you know, can't remember who their kids are. But you, you play them a song that was popular when they were a kid and they can remember every lyric to it. I've seen it firsthand. I've done a lot of, I mean, not now because of COVID, unfortunately, but um, prior to that, I, every week I would do um, a sing-along hour at a assisted living place and I've seen it happen. Like people are totally out of it, but then you play like, um, can't help falling in love with you or something like that. And they know right. every single word. Yeah. It's very powerful. There there was a, a lady that my mom did uh, home care for in Southern California, and she was a real, uh, she had a really sharp mind. She was an ex-librarian in uh, Long Beach, and she was born and grew up and spent all of her time in Southern California. And again, she was like a time machine because she could tell you what things were like in the teens and the 20s and the 30s. She remembered the, I think it was the 33 earthquake in Southern California, which was massive. She could tell me exactly what she was doing, what had happened. She could tell me about back when places like, like Compton was all uh, farmland. It was all like, basically, you'd have to go through seven or eight miles worth of farmland to get to a town. And <laughs> she was like that with movies. She would only watch movies up until a certain point, which was about the mid 60s. But she'd watch these old movies. She had them all on VHS. And she just watched them over and over again. But I really believe that they helped keep her sharp and her brain really functioning at a high level because up until her mid-90s, she was just sharp as a tack. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, with a lot of people, it's the case. When she went downhill, she went downhill very quickly. But mm -hmm. yeah, like like you say, Timmy, she would see this certain episode and then a certain movie, 
And then, uh, and I fit in well because I was kind of that odd kid at 18 or 19 that really, I, I grew up watching old movies because we didn't have the function to get everything. We watched whatever was on TV at the time. And so a lot of these old movies I knew, she'd watch things like uh, Laurel and Hardy and Buster Keaton and that, and I'd know exactly mm. who they were and I'd seen the episodes. So she really liked having me around. But yeah, it's just, it, it is so fascinating the way that the human mind is wired with those certain things. And of course, I'm sure you've heard the stories about uh, people who have experiences with uh, ghosts, for lack of a better term, and they'll have certain strong smells associated with them. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's, it's very yeah. common. It's they say that about Bigfoot, you know. So supposedly, Bigfoot has a very uh, distinct smell. Uh, demonic activity and stuff like that oh, too. Sulfur, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Sulfur, you said. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sulfur, right? There was this one story I remembered reading about quite some time ago, and it was basically a lady who her dad had passed away when she was quite young. And she was in an abusive relationship and her partner would basically come home every few weeks and and uh, uh, beat her up. And one time she was really terrified because she knew every time he'd come home late, basically, then he'd abuse her. And she remembered just being really terrified of it happening. And she said, for whatever reason, she just had this feeling like her dad was there. And basically her dad said to her in her mind, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And apparently this guy came home and he he went to, uh, uh, you know, to punch her or whatever. And he heard a sound in the other room and he went in the other room. And she said that when he walked in the other room, she could smell like right then her dad was sitting there smoking his pipe because it was his pipe tobacco. Mm -hmm. And basically the guy went in the other room and he came back out and he was just pale. And she said after that, he never touched her again. And uh, within a few months, he he moved out, he left her and, and went on with her life. And she always wondered what had happened in the other room, what he'd seen, because she said he was one of those guys that obviously being a uh, an abuser and a bully, there wasn't a lot he was scared of. But she said he walked out and she never saw him like that. He was just pale and he was shaking and he basically left and didn't bother her again after that. So, yeah, wow. and, and that story is always really, uh, I've always remembered that because it was such a Obviously, her being in that relationship was terrible, but at the end of the day, her dad was looking after her even from beyond the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I wanted to share my dream story with you guys. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this has been a long time ago now, probably 15 or probably 15 or 20 years ago. Um, I had this dream that the like the United States was under attack. And I remember looking up towards the sky and seeing fighter jets. And um, so I was in this neighborhood in the dream. And um, I just remember me and a couple other people in the neighborhood kind of ran off behind this house and ran off into the woods to to hide. And that's that was really all I remember of the dream. But one or it was maybe one or two days after the dream, I was driving around just kind of joyriding. And I pulled into uh, a subdivision that I had never been into before, and I immediately realized that it was the neighborhood that I was in in my dream. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and luckily, there were no fighter jets uh, above me, and we weren't actually under attack. But I got the hell out of that neighborhood pretty pretty fast. Oh, I bet. Wow. <laughs> 
Have you guys ever had any any like that, like any dreams that actually somewhat came true in your quote unquote real life? That happens to me all the time, actually. But to I always say about arbitrary things, right. you know what I mean? Mostly it'll I'll like dream about something and it'll be a silly dream where like I order a specific thing at a restaurant yeah. or like something falls and breaks. But it's always it, unfortunately so far it hasn't been super helpful other than yeah. that. I'll be like, oh, wait, I had this dream like two months ago. They haven't given you the lotto numbers yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I have had a lot of, you know, since, like, I don't want to know if you want to call them prediction dreams necessarily, but what I thought might be prediction dreams, like, earlier mm -hmm. this fall, especially, like, around the election, I kept on having very, like, uh, the U.S. election, of course, right. um, uh -huh. I kept on having very, like, apocalyptic, almost, scenario dreams, and, um, you know, I think some of those timelines were very possible, but it looks like we avoided them so far yeah. which is good i i wasn't having any dreams but i definitely was having a lot of anxiety about the election and i ha i mm -hmm. was having a lot of different scenarios that were running through my head yes um, a lot of what if this happens yeah. type yeah. things and i got into some pretty dark places but luckily uh, so far it seems yeah, like so none far. of that is coming true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple weeks to go before uh before the inauguration and God only knows what's gonna happen between now and then. But uh, Right, right. So hopefully far, not that much. Yeah, hopefully hopefully it will be very forgettable, whatever whatever yeah, yeah. happens these next few weeks. Yeah, and it was funny. So I, I don't want to get too deep into politics here, but it's pretty obvious. Like I was hoping that Trump was not going to win this election. Right. And um, I didn't realize until after it was over, really, how much anxiety that I really had about it. Yeah. Um, and then it was just like a big weight lifted off of my shoulders. Um, and I know I wasn't the only one. Right. No, it was a lot of us. Yeah. But even yeah. after, I don't know about you, I, I feel like a lot of people were, again, not to get too political, but I know a lot of people were like very relieved right away. But that's when I was having a lot of dreams. And I was like a little concerned that, you know, things were going to go crazy with people like not accepting the results and stuff. But it seems yeah. like for the most part, yes. everyone was like, oh, well, OK, this is reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It surprised me because we hadn't seen yeah. a whole lot of that. Uh, right right exactly yeah well, and and to be fair um honestly i think that no matter who would have won on the night i think that there were going to be people on either side that were going to question whatever happened just oh yeah just just playing the devil's advocate uh and look i definitely i said multiple times because people would ask me oh well uh who are who are you voting for and and i said look this is the reality I don't vote in the U.S. elections anymore, so I think it's disingenuous for me to foist my views out there. I mean, everyone and their everyone and their uncle will tell you what their views are. You don't need to hear them from me. There's 330 million people that will probably tell you if you ask. And the thing yeah. with me was, uh, I really, what who I was voting for was just what you said, Dave. I I was voting for peace. I just wanted there to not be a massive wave of civil unrest or any right. stupidity going on because of either side and to me i've i've got my own unique views on the political system in general and i've talked uh with you on the old 77 before and i know people can only vote for who they can vote for 
but yeah, I, I'm me personally, I'm much more concerned about, I haven't really followed it closely, but I'm much more concerned about what generally tends to get rammed through not only the US Senate and Congress, but any legislative branch anywhere in the world, just before the holidays when people aren't looking. And mm -hmm. I, I often, yeah, I oftentimes find, I, I love it when people will say five or six years later, they'll go, oh, well, uh, this happened five years ago and we should have been watching. Well, again, the holidays happen the same time every year, so you should be able to, to see what it was. I mean, but uh, as far as me personally, Dave, I haven't had any of those kind of prophetic dreams that have come true, but I've always found it fascinating because there are multiple cases. There was one in the 1800s in South Africa, in the late 1800s, and basically this guy had a dream. He The, the ship, uh, I think it was the Waratah, was a, a steamer, stopped in port, and he had a dream overnight that this ship was going to get lost at sea. And so basically last minute he decided not to get on and continue his trip. And sure enough, the, the ship went missing at sea. There were people that had prophetic dreams about not getting on the Titanic. There have been yep. multiple instances of people dreaming about not getting on a certain flight. And then the yep. flight crashes. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Flight 19, the uh, mm -hmm. the flight that went missing in uh, the uh, Bermuda Triangle, the mm -hmm. Avengers. Well, one of those pilots, Dave, he... Basically, the morning of the flight, he just said he couldn't fly. He said he didn't know what it was, but it was almost like he just, his gut was telling him don't get on the flight. And basically, the flight commander stood him down, didn't let him get on the flight, and basically said, I'll discipline you when I get back. And he never came back. The The whole wow. flight disappeared. And it's also happened, I mean, there were stories of people uh, in and around 9-11 who had uh, dreams about not going to work that day, and so they didn't yeah. go to work. So, yeah, I, I do find it extremely fascinating that our subconscious has got so much to tell us if we just listen to it yeah um, our intuition is so powerful yeah yeah and i think it's something that you have to really work on and you have to kind of teach yourself to trust your intuition um yes but i i pretty much every example that i can give you of times where i have not listened to my intuition <laughs> it's it, bad it right it never works out well for me yeah same for me and, you know, you resist it because maybe your intuition is telling you something that you don't necessarily want to hear. Right, right. But the more you resist it, uh, the more trouble it's going to cause for you. Well, absolutely. I've, I've got a fun one and I'll, I'll give you the Cliff's notes on it. I, I won't drag it out too far. I submitted this to another podcast uh, to kind of support them because they were looking for people to send in listener stories. So when I lived in Southern California and I worked in the Italian restaurant I worked in, it was a husband and wife, and they Vince had grown up in Southern California, and his wife was from Boston. But they went to school uh, in the L.A. area, and this was in the 60s. So they went to uh, college and that in the area. And I'll never forget one time we were at work, and Vince said something about, oh, I went with my gut feeling. And Kathy goes, oh, you're not allowed to go with your gut feeling. And he rolled his eyes, and he goes, not this again. And she goes, oh, should we tell John why? you're not allowed to go with your gut feeling. So I said, yeah, of course, you know, and, and as it is, I was probably 19 or 20. And if they want to talk to you for 10 minutes, instead of you working and getting paid, I'm going to listen. So, so, so they told me this story about uh, when, he, when they were first dating and they basically moved into an apartment together in Southern California. Uh, Vince was quite a guitarist 
and he had all kinds of friends from the kind of the music scene. And one day, Kathy said she came home and Vince had this guy there and he was kind of scraggly, had a long beard and long hair and that. And she instantly had women's intuition. And she said, I don't like this guy. And she basically drugged Vince out and said, I I don't like this guy. I don't want him hanging out here. And Vince said, oh, he's an amazing guitarist. And this guy is going to be a star. And he's taught me so much already about music. And I'm going to keep hanging out with him. And she basically told him, well, look, either you get rid of this guy. I don't want to see him around here or else we're just going to go our separate ways. So he he begrudgingly got rid of the guy and stopped hanging out with him. And three or four months later, might have even been a year later, they were watching the news. And Kathy said, oh, wasn't that your that buddy of yours that you had around? And it was Charles Manson. I knew you oh, were going to yeah. say that. Oh, I wanted no. to call it so bad. Yep, it, it it was it was Charles Manson and and Vince was actually going to go and hang out with Tex and because Tex was like a, he'd been a music producer and he'd worked in music and they were all going to go hang out um somewhere else and she said, "Oh, where are you going to hang out?" "Oh, we were going to come over here." And she goes, "No, you don't. You're not bringing hmm. anyone else around here." And that that's it, Timmy. And and even every time I tell this story and this got told to me in probably 96 or 97, I still get goosebumps. I still get that, that chill down my spine thinking of this. Uh. And that's what, that's what she said to me. She goes, this is why this guy doesn't get a go with his, cause he kept saying to her, Oh, he's a good guy. I know he's a good guy. And she goes, well, you barely know him. Oh yeah. But I've had a gut feeling. He's a really good guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, a lot of people had that gut feeling about him though. You know, well, that, that he was a good, like he had all those followers. He, so he had, he had the charisma. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, Dave, I I mentioned it before, but there's a, on that whole intuition and that gut feeling, there's a book, you can find the audio book on YouTube and the book is called Blink. And that's an excellent study uh, about intuition and gut feelings and all of that. It's, it it was a bit dry when I listened to the first chapter, but they're basically setting up the premise. Okay. So I'm Googling it. Yeah. It's just called Blink and it, it, but it's basically saying if, you follow your gut feeling. If we go back retrospectively and look, our gut or our first intuition type uh, feeling is usually about 80 to 85% right. I believe it. And there's so many times in my life, uh, I'll look back now, as you say, that I'll say, oh, I should have went with my gut here. I should have went with my gut there. But intuition led me to coming here. And yeah, it was just, mm-hmm. I basically rolled the dice, got on a plane with a suitcase and a thousand dollars, and it's completely changed my life. I, I don't, know what the alternate timeline where I stayed in the U.S. or if I would have continued to live in Southern California, but I can tell you I think I've had a much better quality of life here than I would have if I would have just stayed there. Yeah. yeah. So the so that book, is it by Malcolm Gladwell? Yep, that's him. Okay, I see it. Cool, I'll have to give that one a read or give it a listen. Yeah, uh, I I started doing a lot of those listening to them because I could work and do data entry at work and I could listen to them rather than obviously yeah. having to try and read it. But audiobooks are great for that. Oh yeah. You probably ought to do it, you know? Right. Very, very interesting. No, for sure. And you need to read uh you need to read that Conscious Universe book too. No, I'll have to I'll have to check it out. I'll just write it down here real quick before I forget. It's a good one and and it kind of splits everything up, like all of the different phenomenon, you know, remote viewing, precognitive, all of that stuff. It kind of so it's one of those books that you can just kind of pick it up and read a chapter wherever, and and you can kind of 
you don't necessarily have to read it from front to back. You can kind of open it up okay. and read a chapter or two. And yeah, it's a great, it's a great book. We were talking predictions. Yeah. Predictions. Yeah. So I don't have like a, I don't have a big grand prediction or, or, or any <laughs> specifics or anything. You're not going to predict disclosure, are you? <laughs> well, actually, I kind of am. I oh, kind sweet. of am. Um, I think that in 2021, there will be more disclosure. And I don't know exactly like if it's going to come in the in the form of more uh, official military releases like right. we got this past year. I I can't predict the specifics of that, but here's what I will predict. I will predict that when we do get more disclosure, the public's going to ignore it just as much as they ignored it the first time it happened. Right. I mean, that was amazing to me when you had those two those two uh, dash cam videos from the from the Navy pilots. You know, it was kind of a big deal, a big, big deal in the news for a couple of days for maybe a week. But then it just kind of as things do, it just kind of slipped underneath everybody's radar. And um, people just want to go back to yep. their Head lives. The you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Yeah, and that's always that's always been such a tough subject for me uh, because when people ask me how how can you be so interested in in this stuff and UFOs and and I and my response to that is like well how can you not like right yeah the implications and yeah. it's wh whether we're talking about UFOs or we're talking about psychic phenomenon any of that stuff but there's there's evidence for all of those things and if that evidence bears out to be true. That totally rearranges our view of the of the universe. Oh, for sure. So it's it for me. I I'm one of those people. Like I very rarely read fiction. Right. I I always read nonfiction because real life to me is is much more interesting than any fiction that anybody can write. I you know. I used to, I I used to read a lot of fiction, but I actually am the same now. I almost never read fiction anymore. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't tell you the last fiction book that I read. Not there's just so there's so many other interesting things in the real world that. Yes. My time is so slim, being a dad and having three jobs that I have to kind mm. of pick and choose the the things that I want to dig into a little deeper. Right. Not that I necessarily disagree, but there are a couple of things that I've noticed myself, Dave, throughout life as far as fiction versus nonfiction. Now, one of them, uh, you'd fully understand this because I believe even Graham Hancock's went down this route with some things, that mm -hmm. he's basically said, if I write in a fiction venue, I don't have people attacking me and saying, oh, how could you write about this sword being used by this group when in reality it only came, was only introduced eight years after you said, and, and what he said was he was getting so bogged down in fighting with people over minor details, he moved some of his stuff to more of a fiction standpoint. Whereas right. he'd say in his mind, it's all true, but if I publish it under a fiction moniker, it instantly takes away that defense of theirs to say, oh, where, where, where's your proof? This is all wrong because you don't have any certain proof. That's one thing. And the other thing is that I've often found now as, again, it's a lot of it is the stuff I read as a kid, but a lot of the stuff that was written as fiction has become increasingly more and more true as time sure. goes on. Yeah. And one of the perfect points to me, not to get too dark or too political or too deep down the rabbit hole, but things like 1984 or Fahrenheit yeah. 450, 451 and these things that at the time you'd read it and you would go, this is absolute fantasy. This is right. never going to happen. And then you see it happening 
in your life and you see it happening around you and you yeah. start saying, wow, well, there's all kinds of stories. Uh, I haven't dug into them too deeply that I can remember them all, but there's all kinds of stories that uh, George Orwell was actually a connected person and he was basically fed into knowing what was going to, what the plan for the future was going to be because George Orwell was actually a pseudonym. That wasn't his real name. And I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but that was his pen name. That wasn't his actual name. Interesting. I didn't know that about him. Hmm. Yeah, I only the other, found it out recently. So the other the other book that I think of is um, Brave New World. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Okay, so George Orwell's real name was Eric Arthur Blair. Yeah. Interesting. As with so many of these things, I I know that we're never going to get all the answers to everything. Just as time moves on, things get lost to the pages of history. There was another really fascinating guy, and I'll have to find the name so I can let you know, Dave. And I heard him several times on Coast to Coast. Now, he claimed he worked for the U.S. government basically doing what happens in 1984, which is destroying files, paper files, all of these kind of things that were classified And basically, he said that he worked in the Presidio in San Francisco, and he destroyed all kinds of these records that showed basically an alternate history to what we actually think of and how things actually happened. A lot of it in and around World War II and Pearl Harbor and all those kind of things. Yeah, I'll I'll find out the guy's name and I'll let you know. But again, it's it's just one of those things. Is is it true? Is is there more to it? As with so many things, we we found out that there was definitely something going on with JFK. We don't necessarily know for sure who it was, but pretty much everyone has worked out now that this wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald with an Italian rifle. That right. even yeah, mm-hmm. even like world class snipers this to this day can't get three shots off in seven seconds, and especially not aiming to hit someone. Right. I, I just find I, it fascinating that after people die, oh well now we'll tell you what's going on, or at least we'll tell you the version we want you to know. Yeah. But that's that's the way they do it. Well, even here. I find it quite interesting because the Kai Cora Lights episode that I did, it uh, I find it interesting that supposedly something that was just a cabbage field or a squid boat or whatever else their explanation was, uh, they're gonna they they decided to seal all the files until 2050. Well, what have you got? What have you got to hide that you need to keep it a secret for 75 years if it's all just basically BS? I, I've always been fascinated by things like that, so. All I'm saying is it's not just the U.S. It goes on all over the world, sure. mm-hmm. and it, it, it's it's pretty nuts to me. Uh, same with the stuff from World War II. There's still all kinds of files from World War II that are sealed, and we all know that there's very few people left that even fought in the war, let alone politicians or anyone who could be implicated by these things. But it's like, oh, no, we need to keep it secret for 75 or 100 years. Yeah, what's what's in those documents that they don't want us <laughs> right. to know about? I'll I'll probably be in my uh, be in my rocking chair and I'll be saying, "Aha! I told you." Now what <laughs> what was I thinking about again? I knew. Hey, I I, I had a big "I told you so" moment when the when the UFO disclosure when the Navy videos came out. That was a big "I told you so" moment for me. Well, as you were saying about people not necessarily believing it and everything else, well, look at the Israeli guy who's come out. I mean. Yeah, you, I saw you, that. Yeah, you you couldn't ask for someone with more uh, background and a, a better record to come out and talk about this stuff because he worked for NASA. He was obviously involved in the Israeli space 
agency. He was a general in the Israeli military. So this isn't just like you say, it's not Private Johnson or whoever who saw a funny light. This is a guy who, if anybody knows, he knows. Now, I said on the program when I covered it, the only thing that I, I'm always a bit weary about anything coming out of Israel simply because the Mossad and the Israeli intelligence is some of the best in the world. So yeah, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily discounting him. All I'm saying is just bearing in mind that this has come out of Israel. But I yeah. found it very fascinating that you didn't even hear about it on the mainstream. There were a few that, like you said, very much like the uh, very much like the Pentagon videos. It kind of hit the news cycle, and then with two or three days, it just kind of faded away, and nobody was talking about it again. Yeah, I saw it. I think like on the New York Post website. The New York Post isn't known for being the most credible news source in the world, but but you're right. I mean, he, the guy definitely has the credentials, and he definitely said what he said. But you didn't see uh, mainstream picking up on it very much at all, if if any. No, I th I think that's right. I think I either picked up the story because I I found it on Earth Files, and then I basically said on the air, well, sure, JT Earth Files, and that's what they traffic in. And then I found it on CNN or somewhere like that, and said, yeah. okay, well, no matter which side of the spectrum you're on, you've at least got to admit that that's a multinational news agency. So. What I'm right. saying is it's not just uh, Bob's blog or, uh, you know, when it crystalnet.com uh, or something like that. It's 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 out in the mainstream now, whether people pay attention or not is different. But even back uh, in the Phoenix Lights in 97, I remember them coming on the air in San Diego on our local news and saying, oh, well, it looks like people have started uh, their St. Patrick's Day celebrations early. And straight away, it was like, oh, people are drunk. That's why they're seeing things. I don't know about you, you two, but I've got an Irish liver, and I've, <laughs> I've. There's times I've drank a, a, a liter of spirits. I've never seen lights in the sky. I've never seen UFOs. I've never seen little gray men coming to abduct me because of drinking. I've never seen them yeah. full stop. But I just love this ongoing spin that mainstream media has. That well, either you were on drugs, you were drunk, yeah. or you're an imbecile. You must be a redneck. Right. Yeah, that didn't go to school. Do you remember after the Phoenix Lights, I can't remember if it was the mayor of Phoenix or maybe it was the governor of Arizona. It was the Arizona, governor, Cy Simonton. Yeah, he came out and had this press conference and had his like chief of staff yeah. dress up in an alien uniform. So he was making, you know, he was basically joking about yep. it. And then, as I'm sure you know, JT, many years later after he was out of office, he came out and said, no, I saw it too, yeah. you know, yeah. and I don't know what it was either. Yeah. So, and again, it just goes back to the whole thing that whether you're a presenter on the news or you're in government or you're a journalist or an editor, there are certain things you're allowed to talk about and there are certain things that are on the the no-no list. Yeah, I'm not saying that men in black are going to come and shoot you, but what I'm saying is that I know for a fact because I've known a lot of people in the government, in the US government, in the UK government, I've known people in the New Zealand government and there are certain things that they basically just get told, you don't talk about this. And if right. they do talk about it, then they get another tap on the shoulder that says, do you want to win re-election? Right. And as, as much as people may think that it's in our rights, our power as the people to elect those people, if the party doesn't back them, if they don't spend the money on them and everything else, or if they just happen to float some salacious rumor about them just before the election, right. it's not that hard to do, to get someone out of politics. It, this goes back to the Romans and the Greeks. And this happened in Rome more than once. When they started out with the consuls, they 
basically the the plebes and the people said we want someone to represent us so they basically came up with another person that represented the people and when those elected officials didn't play ball then it was the same thing they'd start floating out rumors that they were a a pagan or they they worshiped the wrong god or they'd they'd done something else they'd uh, they cheated on their whatever it was there would always be something that would come out just at election time and this happened over 2000 years ago so for people to think that in this day and age where we've got all of this uh, technology that people can't go out there and throw something out in a Reddit chat or in a chat room somewhere and say, oh, did you know this guy is, has been doing this? Uh, it's not that hard to derail people if right. they don't play ball. It's That's just my feeling and the feeling of a lot of people that I've known. Yeah. Been yeah. So many at this, many of the people that have come out about the UFO stuff. Most of them are people that held office, but they're not in office anymore. They don't right. have to worry about winning re-election. Right. Yeah. Well, even look at the guys like um, Charles Holt with Rendlesham, you know, who was the deputy base commander at the time. He was mm -hmm. basically threatened that he was told, if you keep talking about this, you're going to be posted somewhere like uh, Alaska. You're going to go somewhere where not only is your career going to stall, but you're going to be very lucky if you come home. And he said, well, what do you mean if I come home? And they said, well, accidents happen. Yeah. That's that's how it was kind of left. And so he shut up about it until he got out of the military, as you say. So, yeah, right. the, the, it's the old saying the the Romans used to do this. You start you start with the uh, you start with uh, being friendly and, and trying to convince people. Then you try and bribe them. And then the last ditch is always to silence them. It's always easier to get them to go along with the agenda. And play ball, obviously, than um, than than having to bury a body. Right. Yeah, and I think most your average citizen is, if they see something like that, they're going to shut up about it if they get told to shut up about it. Oh, I, I I know people to this day who have had sightings, have seen things, and have basically said to me, "I don't tell anyone because they'll think I'm crazy." And it's 2020. And it's right. not 1950. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that our, a lot of our programming and societal standards are still, you know, yes, we've come a long way. I'm not saying that, but like, we're still, everyone's still very scared of that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that mm -hmm. programming runs super deep. So of course people are not going to say anything. Right. Well, I remember in the, I remember reading about this guy. It was in the fifties or sixties. He basically he, him and, and some of these other people that he was involved with, and I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but they basically said that they could go, like if, if for example, let's say there was a shooting, a homicide, they'd just turn up if they wanted to go and write about it. They'd just turn up wearing suits. And because they were wearing suits, no one would question them. They'd go, oh, they must be in a, they must be in a authority capacity or they must be someone from the FBI. But they'd just turn up in suits and they'd just get let in wherever it was. And the other one was the other guy said that he started his own church. And that was the whole reason, because if he dressed as a pastor, that basically no one would question what he had to say if he turned up somewhere, if he needed to get information or something like that. They just instantly go, oh, well, he's from the church. Yeah. And, and that was only that's definitely in living memory. That's only what, 50, 60 years ago. So mm. it, it is fascinating how slow some of these things are to evolve, Timmy. I fully agree. Have you watched the new season, the the new seasons of Unsolved Mysteries? I started it and I was like not, hey, and I like the original ones, yeah. I'm super into and I've rewatched them so many times. 
But I yeah. just, does it get, did, is it good? I mean, I watched like the first episode and a half and I was like, eh, lukewarm on it. Okay. So it's a little bit different because obviously there's no Robert Stack, you yeah. know, and Ro- right. Robert Stack I mean, was such a central part of that show. Yeah. But knowing what I know about you, Timmy, I think what you need to do is skip ahead to the UFO okay. episode. Yeah, there's okay. there's a there's a UFO episode in the first season. Do you remember uh you haven't watched it uh, yet, JT? No, I know that there was a UFO episode, but I I yeah. think I tried to give it the benefit of the doubt and I started out watching another episode about something like true crime or whatever and yeah. I watched about 15 minutes and and didn't get a chance <laughs> to go back to it. Yeah, yeah I, I I watched uh I I mainly just watched the the UFO ones too. So See, for what it's I worth. didn't know that there were US UFO episodes. I mean, and to be fair though, also I do enjoy a true crime show as well, but I just like was not into it. The very first episode I felt was very plodding and like yeah, but that's good to know. So maybe I'll skip ahead. I'll read the uh I'll read the descriptions before I play it. <laughs> Yeah, you would like the UFO one because it's an it's another example. And forgive me because I can't remember exactly where this was, where this happened, but I believe it was in the northwestern area of the United States, like in the New England area. But this was a this was a big mass sighting and multiple witnesses, and they actually like they give you a timeline of the night. Like person A had this experience at at seven o seven p.m. And then the UFO moves south, and then this person had this experience at 7.15, and they give you like a whole timeline of the night, of all of this Mm -hmm. crazy shit that happens, and you can't discount it because it's dozens and dozens of people that all witnessed it. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's worth watching. All right. Well, I didn't know until recently, and I haven't gotten into it, but... Uh, I didn't realize that one of the best kind of uh, best case for fairly recent UFO cases was in your neck of the woods, Timmy, was the New Jersey Turnpike UFO sighting. And I'd never heard of it. And I think that was around 2013, 2014. I've actually never even heard of that. Yeah, I I was, uh, as I often do, because I'm always researching stuff for the show. I think that I had just Googled something like best UFO cases of... 20 the 21st century and that one came up oh 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 is berkshire's ufo is that the episode you're talking about dave in season yes one? yes okay, that's the one I see it. it's the last yeah. episode in that season oh no the second to last episode yeah. in season one okay yeah that sounds right yeah so that one i because I, i'm googling it now too yeah so that happened in massachusetts and it was in 1969 69 yep mm-hmm. and there were about okay. 40 witnesses I think I might know that under a different name. I think that might be tied into like the Bridgewater Triangle. I don't know if it's part of that or not. It's about the same time frame. If it's the one I'm thinking, did did you watch the episode, Dave? The the one about Berkshires? Yeah. Yes. Was there like some kids and the policeman came to arrest them or something like that? And then the, does that sound right or? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, that's obviously a different case in the same area. But I know there were quite a few in that area in the mid to late 60s. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Barney and Betty Hill happened in and around that time in New Hampshire. 
and you know you get into the 80s and you've got the the famous uh, Hudson Valley sightings uh, mm-hmm. that was I remember reading about that when I was a kid when it was still kind of a fairly new uh, wave and I think that happened about 83 yeah and I I'm reading about the the Bridgewater one and that and there's there's one incident that dates all the way back to 1971 with this uh Sergeant Thomas Downey who spotted That's... a gig a gigantic winged creature while driving home through Easton one night. And yeah. of course he got he got ridiculed like hell whenever he reported it. Oh, as you know, all these guys do. There's one that I will be covering in the fairly near future. And that was one with a police officer where his car actually was struck by a UFO, for lack of a better term, damaged his car. And yet still his <laughs> fellow officers laughed at him and said that he hit an owl or something or he hit a deer and he was imagining it all. But very similar to the Cisco Grove case that I uh, covered, it is interesting that from memory, either the Air Force or somebody basically turned up to get metal shavings from the car. I did find Mm. that quite interesting. So if this was just him hitting a deer, why would they come all the way there to want to get these metal shavings with whatever he'd uh, contacted? Because the last I checked, deers and owls aren't made out of metal. <laughs> right. Right. Not traditionally. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe it was that owl from the uh, from the original Clash of the Titans movie. <laughs> Maybe he hit that owl. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's that's a weird one too. The Bridgewater Triangle one is a weird one too. Yeah, I've I I never got to spend time on the East Coast or in the Northeast, but I know that that whole Bridgewater thing. And again, it's quite close actually. When you start plotting it on a map, it's quite close to things like the Pine Barrens. So you're Mm -hmm. quite close to New Jersey. You're quite, like I say, quite close to New Hampshire, all of that. And because it's all different states, I think a lot of times people don't necessarily realize how close a lot of those things are connected. Whereas in the Pacific Northwest, you can have something happen in Montana and something happen in Washington, and they'll be 500 miles apart. Right. Did you you, uh, watch the... um... The Hunt for the Skinwalker. Did you watch that yes. one? Yes. And oh, that I watched that one. Yeah. Also. What did you guys think yeah. about that one? The series or the... The movie, the documentary that came out, uh, oh. I don't know, in the past year, I think. Yeah, it's recent. Yeah. We talked yeah. about it a little yes. bit, right? Yeah. We yeah, I think it was, the, it was the same guy. Um, I think is his name Jeremy... No, what's his name? Jeremy Corbell. Oh, uh, yeah. He's the, he's the same guy that did the... Uh, the uh, he did the documentary with Bob Lazar too. Right. And mm-hmm. as uh, funny aside to that, I saw something in my YouTube feed. He was on uh, Joe Rogan and yeah. they kept calling him weird bearded guy. And I was like, who are they talking about? And then I went and looked at him and I heard, I'm like, I know who that is because a lot of these guys, I don't know. I'm used to listening to them in audio on podcasts. Right. And that. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but yeah, it made me laugh because it kept saying, Oh, weird bearded guy. I'm like, who are they talking about? And it, it was Jeremy Corbell. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch the episode of Rogan with, with him and Bob Lazar? Yeah. I think that was the one I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I listened to a bit of it. Yeah. And yeah, they, they were talking about some of the things we've, we've talked about before, like uh, element 115. Yeah. The the thing to me that is really fascinating about people are, I, I guess it's a bit like anything in this world anymore. People are so entrenched on one side or the other in general. It's either, oh, no, he made it all up and he never worked for the government and everything else. Or it's like full on true believers and everything that he said must be true. And I find so often with things like this that it's just like history, right? So like Winston yeah. Churchill wrote the history of the world when he 
quit politics. Now, of course, he's going to have a bias. He's he's going to present himself in a good light. He's going to present the British Empire in a good light. And I think that so often people forget that no matter which side of the argument you're on, if you're telling the story, you're going to present things in a certain way as if you were that medium and you were in the middle. So right. it, is, it is quite interesting that people seem to be so polarized on his story in particular. It seems that it's really either you believe it or you don't, like in general, in society in general. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he was kind of the one that blew the lid open on Area 51. Yeah. Uh, I remember hearing him, obviously, way back in the day on Coast to Coast. And the guy that kind of pushed the narrative very early on was John Lear. They've kind of he's he's kind of removed himself a bit from John Lear. And the reason is, again, it's just like anything. You can have somebody say something really dumb and at the same time they can be right about other things. But because John Lear's got some pretty far out there theories on some things and he said some pretty far out there things, people just want to throw out everything he says and says, oh, it's all BS. But John Lear's the guy who went out at those certain times to go and view these things at Groom Lake. And he said that never fail if Bob said go out on a Tuesday at 7 o'clock and by 7.30 they'll be testing and they'll be there roughly from 7 to 9. And he'd go out there and that's what would happen. Now, yeah. in the military, we all know that part of the military is keeping secrets. So if the military was going to you – know, if he didn't have that information, then they would change those times and, and – they're, they wouldn't. What I'm saying is, they wouldn't keep testing over and over for five years, the same time, the same night, the same craft, the same area. So Bob Lazar must have known something, and he must have had relevant, real-time information. Right. Yeah, and I think, as far as we know, like, don't all of his credentials pretty well check out? Well, there's the arguments that he didn't go here, he didn't go there, he didn't work for the government. That's the biggest problem is that a lot of those things don't necessarily line up. Now, I'm not up to scratch with his latest, like the movie that came out about him and all of that. So that mm -hmm. is the caveat, Dave. But the last that I knew about it, that was the problem a lot of skeptics had, was that they said there was no real proof about some of the claims that he made about where he worked and everything else. But I know that they did find him in a telephone directory of working at, I believe it was Sandia Labs. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And to me, it just basically goes to show that somebody didn't scrub his record entirely. So to me, right. as long as that's there and that's a matter of public record, then you've at least got to say the rest of what he has said is plausible as far as. Absolutely. Yeah. And he said multiple times, the only thing he really misses about it all is not being on the cutting edge, knowing about the technology. And that was the biggest thing to him was losing the access to that stuff. It wasn't about necessarily what it could do. It was the way that it would make you think about what is possible if these things right. break the physics barrier. What else yeah. is there? And just generating thoughts off of that. Yeah. And one of the things that was really interesting about about Bob Lazar's appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast was when he asked him about where did the military obtain these vehicles? Yeah, he didn't he didn't necessarily say that he knew for sure. And I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he basically said that he was under the impression that they were found like in an archaeological yes. dig. Yes. Yeah, I, I did. I heard. I heard him say that there are obviously claims that this is the reason why a lot of these kind of archaeological sites get shut down or it takes so long to excavate them. Uh, obviously, I'm sure, you know, you've at least heard of the Vimanas and that in in ancient India. Yes. And yeah. The flying machines. And then mm -hmm. you talk about uh, I heard you and Scott talking a bit 
about uh, Trinitite and all of that. And I can tell you, I was nodding my head as you guys were talking about that, because mm -hmm. that is exactly what Oppenheimer was quoted as saying. He quoted a verse directly out of the quote-unquote Hindu scriptures about uh, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, because he yeah. felt that the, all these things, time was cyclical and that this had all happened before in the past. Now, there's a place, I believe now it's in Pakistan, but as a boy, I was always fascinated by it, and it's called Mahinjandaro. And they claim that when they went to excavate this place, they found people laying in the streets like Pompeii. Mm -hmm. And I think that might have been what Scott was talking about, where they said that they believe that they still had radiation readings and everything else. But it's one of those things I'd really have to dig into because I'm not sure, as is often the case, you read a book by a certain author and they're trying to present a certain hypothesis so maybe they leave things out or maybe they yeah say yeah so i haven't dug into it recently but that was i know that that city was like five thousand years old what's the name of that place again mahinjandaro um do you know how to spell that uh i know the last part will be d-a-r-o and then okay. <laughs> yeah probably if you just start typing like m-a-h something like that it, it might come up okay yeah i'll have to try i'll have to check that down because that yeah. sounds interesting yeah, and it is one of those, from a very very early age, that was one of those big anomalous things like uh, Angkor Wat and all of these other Nazca lines and all of that. That was one of those things that was pointed at very early on as being the possibility that there were these super weapons before yeah. modern okay, day. So I, so I found it, yeah, so they say that it's around built around 2500 BC, it looks yeah, like. yeah. Interesting. I'll have to dig into that one because I don't know. I don't know anything about that one. Yeah, I know that uh, it was covered by uh, Van Daniken in one of his mm -hmm. books. I know that he went into it, and I think it's been on things like Mysterious Universe and some of those other kind of seventies, eighties documentary type TV shows. Right. Very cool. The one that gets me is Gobekli Tepe. Well, uh, that's actually one of my predictions for twenty twenty one. Is oh, that let's I, hear it. I, I think that somewhere in the world they're going to find something that predates Gobekli Tepe. Oh, okay. Yeah, and when I say something, I don't mean some bones. I mean a site. Um, mm -hmm. Now, as is so often the case with these things, sometimes they're sitting on it. Like Gobekli Tepe, I didn't realize that it was actually discovered in like the early 90s, but it's just taken time for it to come out, for them to excavate and find out that there was so much more to it. Yeah, um, because when I heard about it within the last 10 years, I thought, oh, I'd never heard of that place. But it turns out they've been excavating there since the 90s. Yeah. And I think it was actually um, I think it was actually originally discovered like in the late 60s, I want to say. But but nobody really touched it until the 90s, I think. Like, I think it was some farmer. It, it, it wouldn't shock me. This happens all the time. The famous uh, the city of Troy that was excavated. That was the same thing that actually a British family in the area in Turkey bought the land because they were convinced that Troy was buried there. And everybody just basically said to them, oh, no, it's not. Basically, what happened was the guy was trying to do his own excavations. And in the end, he was so sure it was Troy that he he invited uh, Schliemann from uh, Germany to come and excavate it. And he basically said, it's your show. I just want it to be discovered. And he was right. They ended up being absolutely right. That's where Troy was. Wow. Yeah, that's insane, man. Yeah, so it says that the that for Gobekli Tepe that it was first noted in a survey conducted by Istanbul University and the University of Chicago in 1963. Okay. 
But it wasn't until 1994 when Klaus Schmidt started actually, you know, excavating the site. Right. That thing has basically had to force us to rewrite our history books as far as human origins and when was the first, uh, you know, somewhat advanced civilization. Look, I fully agree. And, And things like that to me are awesome because like you were saying, those aha, I told you moments. It's that's the kind of thing to me, because I personally have no doubt I've said it time and time again. Mainstream historians tend to want to tell us that we know 95 percent of everything that's happened. And to me, it's completely flipped. We might know 5 percent of what's gone gone on. You even go back to biblical times and the major record is the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, there, there are some historians that their works were saved in that. But that was only 2,000 years ago. Now, we're talking about something 8, 10, 12, 15,000 years ago. There's very little historical record to go by. And there's so many of these things that push back that time frame. And as so many people say, I mean, Graham Hancock said it and many other people, we need to stop looking at oceans as barriers and start looking at oceans as highways. It's yeah. The whole South Pacific was settled by people who were considered to be Stone Age, right? And Yet they managed to sail thousands of miles with no no compasses, no theodolites, none of the modern technology. They reckoned by stars, and yet they discovered and settled the entire South Pacific Basin, an area which is much larger than all of Europe and North America combined. Yeah, it's incredible. And there's so, so much of that stuff uh, I think is still waiting to be discovered, and oh, I yeah. think a lot of it is underwater. Oh, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. What's your what's your hypothesis on um on Atlantis? Uh it's an interesting one. Um as far as do I think Atlantis existed? I think that Atlantis as Plato wrote it was definitely based on something real life. As far as the time frames, I'm not really sure and it doesn't really bother me one way if it ends up being 12,000 years old or if it ended up being 1200 years before Plato because either way it's still going to prove that there was a major power that we as looking back in history that academics say didn't exist and if you go and you prove like I say even if it was 1200 years before Plato even if you prove that then again it starts casting doubt on a lot of these other suppositions that they've made about things Uh, the things that I found so interesting about Atlantis and the way that it presented and written by Plato was the the things about like there being elephants, the things, but it, it wasn't just kind of broad generalities. Oh, there were some people on an island and they built ships and they sailed around. I mean, it was the specifics of it. So if it was a work of fiction, it was amazing for the time because this is when people were writing about gods and, and, and demons and they, they weren't really writing specifics about lost civilizations or, or lost cities. So to me, that that's what it really stands out to me that even though it was only spoken about really by one person, the depth and the fleshing out of the story, if it's not true, then he definitely needs to go down as one of the greatest fiction writers of all time. Oh, go ahead. No, I just I read an article not that long ago about Atlantis um, and how researchers are thinking that perhaps because everyone's like searching, like, where was it? Where was it? Where was it? It was where modern day Ireland is today, possibly. I don't know if you heard that theory or not. I I haven't heard that one. The latest one that I was kind of across that I'd heard about was 
them there was the one in Spain and then there was also one that they were saying that it could be in the Sahara Desert because there's this structure called the Eye of Mauritius something like that and it's out in the middle of the desert I hadn't heard that specifically about Ireland but I did the episode about High Brazil which is often called Ireland's Atlantis which was supposed to be 200 miles off the coast of Ireland so that look that is really fascinating I hadn't heard that one I'll have to read into that yeah, I hadn't heard that one either. Wasn't it uh, – because everything that we know about Atlantis came from Plato. And yes. didn't he – like wasn't it like his uncle or somebody yeah. that actually gave him the information? Yeah. So Plato got it from Solon, which I think was like his grandfather. And Solon basically said that he got it because he went to Egypt and he got it from priests at a temple. And they told him about Atlantis. So that's where he claims to have gotten it. And if you follow a lot of people's theories, uh, Edgar Casey being one of the, the foremost among them, is that Casey believed that basically Egypt ended up being the storehouse of knowledge after the fall of Atlantis. And he mm -hmm. felt that the Egyptians were refugees from Atlantis. And a lot of people since then have kind of followed that same pattern of thinking. <clears throat> Yeah, so that's, I believe, I, I think that's basically how Graham Hancock views Gobekli Tepe. He thinks that those are survivors of the same cataclysm, and and his belief is that it is an asteroid strike. And the whole thing with Plato is that the timeline that Plato gives for Atlantis matches perfectly with where we now know this huge asteroid strike happened. As I was telling Scott the other day on the old 77, what other, what else can you think of other than a huge asteroid strike that would literally flood entire continents overnight? Pole shift. Mm. A pole shift, you think? Yeah. That, just off the top of my head. And, and I mm -hmm. listened to that episode and I agree with you. So what mainstream historians tend to postulate is they'll say, well, yeah, there was flooding, but it was much more localized. And to people, uh, for example, if you had the, the one theory is that the, the Black Sea used to basically have a land dam that blocked the Black Sea off from the Mediterranean. And they felt that this failed and it flooded the Mediterranean. And so if you lived in the Mediterranean, it would basically be a worldwide flood. Right. But to me, that doesn't explain why over 200 cultures all around the world, so not just in the Mediterranean, but in the Americas, in yeah. Asia, all of these cultures have some form of a flood myth. If you lived on an island, I could understand having a flood myth because you're going to have high tides and everything else. But when you're in places like North America, again, I just don't see where this naturally comes across as a work of fiction. And so many of the North American tribes basically say that the world started out as being completely covered in water. And then I think it was something like you know, a turtle died, like one of the gods was a turtle, he died, and basically that allowed land to form. So I do find it quite fascinating that if that was the case, if it was a localized event, how did all of these cultures that supposedly had no communication with each other all form these flood myths? So right. either one, they were communicating, so you're wrong, mainstream historic historians, because they were communicating, or two, something really did happen. In which case you're wrong. So either way, you're wrong in my mind. Yeah. 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 And the other thing that sticks out like a sore thumb to me is just the similarity between the megalithic sites, <clears throat> excuse yep. me, yep. on different continents, how similar they are to one another. Even in Europe, supposedly areas that never communicated. So you've got, I did the episode on Malta 
You've got me megalithic sites in Malta that are the same as megalithic sites in Ireland, that are the same as megalithic sites in Spain and France and Bulgaria and on and on and on. It, yeah, and, and again, like you say, we're not talking about moving around uh, cinder blocks. We're talking about moving 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 ton stones. Yeah, it's a big mystery because even today we couldn't recreate most of, no. most of those sites. Mm. They've shown it time and time again. Uh, the I, I talked about the pyramid where in the 70s the Japanese did a documentary and they said, oh, well, we're going to show how it was done. So they built like a scale model of the Great Pyramid. They were going to build a scale model. And it was like quite small. It's like one one thousandth. And then they worked out very quickly that the way that with the log rollers and all of that kind of stuff, it wasn't going to work. And they were way behind. So they said, okay, well, we'll bring in like excavators and cranes and we'll do it that way. And they still couldn't get it built in time. Yeah. Yeah. What's your theory on how they how they moved all those blocks? Well, uh, the, I definitely believe that there was something other than the mainstream narrative. So I don't believe that it was just manpower. Because if yeah. you go back and you look at how many people it would have taken and how many years, if you built it in the time that the pharaohs claim, like it, mainstream historians say that it was built in about 20 years. And I think off the top of my head from memory, to do that, they would basically have to place a block every six seconds, something along those lines. Now, okay, that sounds doable, but when you start ramping up and you start going up levels of this, there's yeah. no way you can be placing a block every six seconds. And again, that's six seconds of every, so that's daytime, that's nighttime. And supposedly, yeah. what were they using to work at night? You know, pitch and, and candles. Uh, so in my mind, um, <clears throat> I've got no problem with people who say it was made by humans. No issue there. But yeah. I think if it was made by mankind without outside help, then it was definitely done with a technology that we aren't necessarily privy to as far as yeah. mainstream. And I would argue from all of the things that I've seen, I would say I strongly lean towards the harmonic movement. Same with yeah. uh, Nan Madal and some of these other sites. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that you've covered, you, you've talked about this a bit with Scott, basically using acoustic waves or sound waves to move some of these stones because, again, Coral Castle, I'm going to be doing an episode on Coral Castle in the near future. The man who built Coral Castle basically said he knows or he knew how they built the pyramids. He basically claimed that it was done this way. Uh, he didn't say it. He didn't come out in the press and say it, but to people who knew him, that's what he said is that it wasn't done with strength of skill. It was done with strength of will or uh, right. something <laughs> along those lines. Yeah, it wasn't muscle that did it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think like the most popular mainstream theory is that it was slave labor. Yes, of course. But man, I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't seen a theory that connects all the dots yet for me. To me, I'm not saying it's impossible. Without a time machine, none of us are going to know, right? Like none of us can yeah. go back and. But slave labor to me has just got so many holes in it. Number one, how were you feeding all those twenty or thirty or forty thousand slaves? Yes, uh, Egypt was a lot lusher back then, but again, we're talking about a time when you didn't have things even so simple as really, they weren't even using plows drawn by uh, cattle back then. Most of it was all hand done, hand dug and everything else. So if it was slaves, where did all these slaves come from, number one? So generally at that time, they captured slaves. Uh, number two, even if it was, let's say it was farmers that were conscripted in. So who was raising the crops so that everyone didn't starve when the season ended? 
So if you've only got a seasonality and you're only building it three months at a time, it would have taken a lot longer than 20 years, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A whole lot longer. <laughs> yeah. And, the, you know, the other theory that I've seen that's pretty popular is that they used the Nile River, river and floated the blocks up the Nile River. And that's it. You're you're right. I know that that's kind of the the long standing traditional view. And I remember as a kid in the eighties watching the whole documentary with Zahi Awas and uh, yep. Omar Sharif talking about the pyramids and how they were built. And and that's what they said then. I don't necessarily know about the Nile, and I don't know what papyrus could hold. But I do know that when I covered Nan Madol, that's what they said. Oh, it was all done with canoes. And then they found out that any stone over one ton would basically swamp the canoes they were trying to use to prove this. And they were only moving at like 20 to 30 miles, not hundreds of miles. Right. And That's I, yeah. I had heard the same. Yeah. And and so, as, as you know, the stones in the Great Pyramid, uh, a lot of them are kind of 10 to 12 to 20 tons. So, again, yeah. how, how were you moving them? I get that a river may not be quite so dangerous as the open ocean, but... Still, if it's a if it's a matter of buoyancy, it's still going to sink. Whether it's the ocean or it's fresh water, you're still going to have issues if it can't handle the weight. Yeah, there's there's a there's a couple of videos floating around on YouTube of Graham Hancock and Zawi Hawass getting into it. I don't know if you've seen those. No, but I I, I know that he's always been a very contentious figure. Um, yeah, he's only, a very polarizing figure. Yeah. And a lot of that's only kind of came out in the last kind of 10 to 20 years. When I was a kid, he was still considered like the man that knew about Egypt. Uh, but a lot of the alternate stuff hadn't come out yet. I understand from a very basic standpoint, I can understand someone wanting to protect basically their national identity. So if you come along and start saying, well, no one built this and it was done by aliens or whatever time travelers. I can sure. understand him, yeah, wanting to protect the national pride, but at the same time, uh, keep an open mind, as I say. But I think that that was their whole theory, him and the Egyptological uh, Association or whatever it was. I think that was their whole theory was, no, we're just going to shut the door to anyone who doesn't say it was built by uh, Cheops in this time, and we're just not going to open the door at all because if we open the door, they might start finding cracks and things. Yeah, and I think I think that's the big flaw in academics is that um, if if you spend your entire career working on a theory and trying to prove this theory, you're gonna get attached to that theory. Yeah, of course. And um, you're gonna you know there's gonna be confirmation bias, and you're gonna of try course. to dis you're gonna try to discount any evidence that runs contrary to your theory. So I feel like that's kind of what's happening with Zahi Wass and Graham Hancock. Yeah. Um, they were supposed to de to debate, and Zawi Hawass, like last minute, backed out of it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not surprised. This happens all kinds of in all kinds of fields. Uh, a good example was uh, so John Hogue is kind of the Nostradamus expert, for lack of a better term, and he also does. I mean, he's been in all the documentaries back to the 80s and 90s, and he also does some of his own predictions in that, and he's a prolific writer. And he was going to have a debate with The Amazing Randy before he passed away, and basically The Amazing Randy had no – but all, all that John Hogue said was, I want to see a list of the questions ahead of time so there's no gotcha moments, and I just want it to be filmed live. No editing. You're going to release what we do. And even The Amazing Randy said, oh, yeah, that's fine. But the producers of the show said no. So it didn't happen, like you say, and there's with oftentimes with things like this, anything contentious, there's so much going on behind the scenes 
that it just doesn't happen at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm reading up on John Hogue right now. His predictions. Have you have you read any of his books? Um, yeah, I have. I've followed John Hogue for a very long time. Me personally, I just like John Hogue's style because, again, I think you know me well enough by now, Dave. I don't do arrogant, narcissistic types that no matter what they say, they're right all the time and there can yeah. be no wavering. And John Hogue is the furthest thing from that. Now, one of the real interesting things to me, although they didn't necessarily diagnose it at the time, a lot of people are pretty sure that uh, Nostradamus was dyslexic, and John Hogue is also dyslexic. So he's got a bit of a unique perspective on how a dyslexic would maybe write things or or maybe kind of encode things. And, yeah. and also the thing, like I say about John Hogue, that I really like is he's not the, the guy who comes out there and says, oh, Nostradamus was always right all the time. He's completely opposite, and he's a really well-grounded person. I I don't know how he looked at the last election, but basically from 1968 up until this election, he'd predicted the the winner every time. Now I don't I know he was predicting Trump, but I'm not sure that was like two or three years ago that he predicted Trump to win, and I'm not quite sure what he's had to say about that because I haven't caught up on him recently. But yeah, he's he's another person that's very well spoken, and. He's brought some of these other people that I've actually got to uh, discuss about tonight. He's brought them to my attention in the past. Wow. Yeah, I'm reading up on him. His predictions are kind of uh, kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For 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 twenty one through twenty or twenty twenty one through twenty twenty eight. No, de definitely. Uh, he doesn't necessarily see a uh, party of light um, around the corner, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I don't either. Yeah. I think most people are are like that. I mean, I think it's going to be a rough couple of years just because, like, you have to go through the shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, before yeah. you come out the other side. And that's yeah. where we are. I mean, at least for me, for my predictions. And I think a lot of people in the, like, spiritual community are kind of predicting this, that there's, you know, there's, like, a massive awakening happening right now with a lot of people that are, like, yeah, for lack of a better word, we're kind of like separating into different realities. And it's and like the next few years, we're going to be dealing with that because it's people yeah. living on kind of like two planes of existence. And at some point, there's going to be a break and we can live in that new reality. But for right now, we have to deal with each other. If that makes yeah. sense. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I um, I think most, if not all of us that live in the United States and, and not just us in the States, but people all around the world we have intuitively kind of felt this building up and building up. And you're right, Timmy, at some point we're going to have to deal with our shit. How exactly that's going to go down is anybody's guess, but we got some demons we got to work out. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think regardless of what your position is on, like, uh, Russia and all of that, like, it's a pretty well well-established fact that there are foreign governments out there that are actively trying to sow division and that are actively trying to put out the most extreme viewpoints from both sides in an effort to get us to attack one another. And sadly, it's, oh, yeah. it's worked pretty well. It It's working. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, my perspective is always, you know, and I think it seems like you two are both like this also, but 
like you don't have to necessarily agree, but listen to everybody because yeah. it's not right. good on either side to yeah. constantly be like, well, this is what I believe and I'm going to put myself in an echo chamber and it's going on <laughs> yeah. with everyone. But you have to be able to talk to each other and try yes. to figure out like, what do we have in common? Where do we have like, there's got to be something that we can all agree on or right. and then, you know, just be respectful of one another's opinions. But yeah, it's bad right now. And un unfortunately, not to discount anything that you just said, Dave, about governments being involved and all that, but unfortunately, in my humble opinion, I think a lot of that is the chickens coming home to roost for the U.S. because the intelligence agencies have done this to so many countries for so many years where they've destabilized elections and everything else. Sure, and, sure. you yeah. know, flat out plotted coups. And I, I'm, I remember I was talking about one with Russ. And he hadn't heard of this, but in the 1920s, okay, there was a huge conglomerate monopoly in the U.S. that controlled the bananas. And uh, it was something like the Central American Company. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But basically in Costa Rica, the new Presidente got in and he basically said, I'm going to seize all this land and give it back to the farmers. And so what did the U.S. government do? Oh, well, we need to dispatch the Marines. So this was a private company basically getting the U.S. Marines involved as a mercenary force. And this was in the 1920s. This isn't Black. This isn't uh, Blackwater in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Right. So unfortunately, right. I think that I can't speak for everyone. Obviously, I can only speak for myself and my interactions with people. But the sad bit to me is that there are many people in the, around the world, and we're not just talking about in countries like Iran or North Korea. There are a lot of people who actually think to themselves, oh, well, it's about time America got kicked in the groin. And yeah, yeah and it's sad. Mm -hmm. It's really sad to me as an American uh, because I always try and argue the point that you can have that feeling about the government, but the people are not the government, okay? And they haven't been right. for a long time. And American mm -hmm. people are generally very uh, loving, caring people. And if they weren't, they wouldn't have, the U.S. wouldn't have done things like give aid for all these years, it wasn't the government doing it. It was on behalf of the people. So we we will we will hope for the best. But uh, yeah, honestly, Dave, you're you're not wrong, and it's not just John Hogue. When you when, if you just go online and you Google 2021 predictions, the problem is with a lot of these older people that I've talked about. So like Nostradamus, uh, Baba Vanga, a lot of these predictions because they were a kind of left open open ended, and b oftentimes in another language, is that people will take that original uh, prediction and they will bend it to 2021 because people like Nostradamus very rarely listed dates. Nostradamus, right. because he was an astrologer, he talked about conjunctions and things like that. So he mm -hmm. didn't say in 2001, okay? He, yeah. he he said when this when this happens or that happens. So, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't don't know that, and they just read it in, like you say, the New York Post or there's several uh, uh, newspapers in the UK that are famous for every year rehashing Nostradamus quote unquote predictions and uh, some of these other people, and they'll just basically try and tune it to their will. I remember way back in the 80s watching a documentary about Nostradamus that actually had uh, Orson Welles as the host. And they were talking about uh, the famous prediction that everyone's talked about that they think ended up being 9-11. But back then, they were very much thinking that it was going to be a nuclear attack on New York rather than it being 
anything to do with 9-11. So again, just depending on the time and the time we're living in and everything else and who's doing the uh, deciphering and what they've got, what they want to push, you get all these different outcomes. And one of the things John Hogue says a lot about Nostradamus is when people start saying things like, uh, oh, uh, Obama is uh, the Antichrist because he talked about Mobus. And then John Hogue will say, he'll go, look, uh, Nostradamus was born and lived in France. He spoke Latin and he spoke French. He did not speak English. He did not make (laughs) predictions in English. So you can't take English and say, okay, well, this is what he predicted. It's got nothing to do with it. That's not what he did. And so that's one of the things that I've really liked about John Hogue is him just pointing out things like that and saying, I get that this is what people do and this is what you read, but it doesn't mean it's true. It's just been spun a certain way because they're selling books or we all know doom sells. Uh, doom and gloom, yeah. it, 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 as the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads on the news. What do you turn on the news? It's almost always an accident or a shooting or something. Very rarely do they start out by going, oh, today there was a, a peace agreement in the Middle East. Very rarely do you get anything like that. So. So for what it's worth, I'm reading John Hogue's 2020 prediction, uh, uh, election predictions. You say you don't know what his, you haven't read what his predictions are yet, JT? No, the the last that I knew, but this was like midterm, he was saying that he predicted Trump to win, but he was saying that there was also a certain, there was a caveat to that, but I just couldn't remember what it was. Yeah. So you were right. He, He predicted every election from 68 up to the present. But he he did predict he predict that he predicted that Joe Biden would win the popular vote, okay. but that Trump would actually win the election. Right. Um, so he was wrong about that. But then again, we don't really know for sure until January 20th. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see enough. Timmy back there. Timmy's out there. Yeah. Timmy knows what's up. <laughs> I, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I actually heard him. I heard the episode where he was on coast to coast when Trump won. And he very, I mean, like over a year before the election, he came out and said, Trump's going to win. And everybody said he was cuckoo. This yeah. was before they'd even narrowed down the field. I mean, that's when you still had the the House of Republicans, whatever it was, 12 or 14 running. And everybody said that Trump was just in there for a bit of a laugh. Well, on that night, he basically said, oh, I got it wrong because he was wrong by the popular vote. But in the end... Trump ended up winning. So uh, as as this as he says all the time and I firmly believe there can always be a change uh as I say I do believe that we we've got the ability to change the future and we will we will touch wood and hope that nothing silly goes on you know, between now and uh the inauguration. Uh, it's just to me my whole thing was personally I did get a bit annoyed when everyone was running out and saying that Biden was the next president, I was like, hang on, first off, the states aren't even finished. And then you've got the Electoral College. Now, once the Electoral College had their findings, fine, Biden's Biden's the, the president-elect. And I fully agreed with that. All I was saying was that, folks, we've got stages to follow in the U.S. as a democracy. And one of those is the Electoral College. And they're not bound to vote for either side. Now, in the end, they did, as they almost always do. But it was just there is a potential. Yeah. 
Um, according to some predictions from astrologers, by the way, uh, I don't know. I don't know that Biden should be celebrating. A lot of people think that whoever takes office next is going to die while they're in office. Have you guys heard this? No, uh, but honestly, I'm not surprised. I've said kind of privately for a long time that I thought he would be lucky to remain president for more than a year or two. And I didn't necessarily not necessarily dying, but more so just his health deteriorating. And I could sure. see him not being able to function as the president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that he's not as sharp as he once was. <laughs> well, that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, 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 look, Dave, I was ready to come home and I'll tell you why. When he was on national TV and I saw him say that he was going to fix everything by giving us a $15 million minimum wage. <laughs> I, I, I was on the next plane back and then he changed it to 15,000. And even then, I said, yeah, even then I said, 15 thou, I could do that. I could work for a few months and come yeah. back. Yeah. So, <laughs> and again, I'm, I, I mean, obviously we're all going to age and we're all going to go through this at some point, but look, I hadn't heard that, Timmy, that, that is really fascinating. I just yeah. really had this feeling that, uh, again, I'm not picking on the guy, but I, I had a feeling that maybe he was being propped up a bit more. Uh, from a preparation mm -hmm. standpoint than generally would happen. And I don't, yeah. uh, nothing personal. I don't think he's a bad guy from everything I've seen. I'm not one of those people that's out there going, oh, he's terrible and everything else. I, I think he's a genuine person. It's just that is one of the most demanding positions in the world. And it's, I mean, we've we've seen it with some of the guys in the past that have gone in and four years later, they look like they've aged 20 years. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. I mean, one, it's not even just Biden specific and um, people, it's just, just the transits, yeah. just the transits that are going <laughs> on. Like, you know, it's uh, things are happening now that have happened when there's been other like deaths in office or assassin assassinations yeah, yeah. or assassination attempts. Like a lot of those things are aligning in the same way, which is why some people are predicting that. Well, yeah. Well, you would really like John Hogue, Timmy, because this is a lot of why he based the fact that he saw Trump getting in because it was his, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but he basically looked at his chart and he said that he was tied to the U.S.'s chart starting in 1776. Mm. And he just saw that he was basically in a position that he basically, John Hogue said it didn't matter who the Democrats ran against him, there was nobody that was going to beat him that time it was all down to his astrological chart and he is yeah he bases a lot of his stuff on that yeah i mean it is a good way you know if you believe in that to like look at the big picture things for someone's specific chart but then also for in you know large scale things and we just had the great conjunction that happened right. last right. week which is that brings in a whole bunch of predictions about like what's the next year or the next 10 years gonna bring Right, yeah. the, the one that I couldn't see every night I went out and looked because of the cloud cover. It was clear oh, right. four days yeah. before, yeah. And it was cloudy for like four days and I gave up in the end. <laughs> yeah, I caught it the night before the actual conjunction and you could see that they were almost right on top of each other, but I was mm -hmm. working when the actual conjunction took place so I didn't get to see it. So uh, John Hogue actually talks about that conjunction's uh, election predictions for 2020. He mentions that conjunction. Mm -hmm. What are your predictions for 2021, Timmy? Me? Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've been hearing a lot of things about um, 
that we might finally be going into the age of Aquarius, which is a good thing if right. we listen to the right. songs, you know. Uh-huh. Um, sure. I guess just the stuff I already sort of talked about, like that there is kind of the separation happening within people. And a lot of people um, have been very linked to like what I would call like worker bee virtues or like karma, not karma in like a like grand sense, but like, oh, if I do this, then I should get this or whatever. Right. Um, like direct karma and how like a lot of those systems are starting to like break down a little bit and you can kind of see it happening. I think COVID like changed everything and we're starting to see things very, very differently. Like, I mean, I know in the U S here, like the whole stimulus thing is ridiculous, but even the idea that they're talking about that is the idea that people deserve to have money for just like existing and not like have to have to struggle. Like, Things, I think it's changed a lot of things, hopefully in the long term for the good, where so, some of these like old, old, like money driven systems or like black and white systems are going to start to fade a little bit, which is a good thing. Right. So that's a positive one. Uh, the yeah. tarot card for us all for 2020 is also uh, 2021 is the Hierophant, which is number five, which you get by adding 20, two plus zero plus two plus one equals five. And that card is all about um, like learning and studying and like betterment of ourselves and really like inward focus. So I think it would be a good year for everyone to kind of like figure out what their actual individually like what is your belief system right and what do you truly believe not what is someone telling you to believe but what do you really believe and then obviously on a grander scale all of us kind of reevaluating that and deciding what is the actual path forward that we want to take and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that has been this like patriarchal thing over the course of generations and generations right and what was interesting about that dave was when timmy did my reading we finished oh, yeah. up, yeah. We we finished up by saying, she said, "Oh, do you want me to pull another card?" I said, "Oh, yeah, maybe just a card for the collective." And she pulled the hierophant. I did. Interesting. How do you spell hierophant? H i e r. It's it's like hierophant, but you pronounce okay, it hierophant. Yeah, it. H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I have to read up on that card then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've listened to. There was a lady. Uh, I think her name's. Glennis McCant and she used to be on coast to coast all the time and they called her the numbers lady and she was a numerologist so some of the things that Timmy and I talked about as she would explain things like this like breaking down the number and adding it up it would kind of ring a bell and then I would say oh that's right because uh, they used to have like you could call up and say can you uh, give give me a, a reading and they would give a birth date and all of that like you say Timmy and then she would kind of go into the numbers and explain them it was something that I'd listened to, but I wasn't necessarily fascinated by. It was you know, I was pretty even keel about it. But I do find it fascinating with everything from astrology to uh, numerology that these were all developed thousands of years ago. Like numerology goes back to Babylonia. Mm-hmm. And yet here in this time and age, it's still relevant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you guys pay attention uh, like when you see repeating numbers in your daily life? <laughs> oh, well, I, yeah, I feel like I speak for both of us when I say, yes, we've had many conversations about numbers. Yeah, yeah. Dave, all of a sudden for about a week, I just had the number 13 turning up constantly. Um, mm-hmm. I'd log in and check the check on the program. 
because you can look at the downloads on Anchor and I'd uh, log in and it had had 13 downloads. And then I would go and look at uh, something else. Oh, the Facebook group that I'd made. I made it mm-hmm. the day before I go and look, there's 13 members. And then I went and looked at another, like another episode that I did and it had 13 downloads. So yeah, it's something that I hadn't necessarily noticed so much before, but all yeah. of a sudden, for whatever reason, in that kind of week time frame, I just started seeing 13 everywhere. And we talked about that, right? Thir- yeah. 13 in tarot is uh, death, which is yeah. all about like transformation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. De- I, I've always heard that the death card is not as dark as it sounds no. like it is. None of them are. There's like no bad or good. It's all like it has a light and a dark side, no matter what card you're pulling, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Probably the one and Timmy's the expert. So um, I, I welcome your commentary, but probably oh. the one that I've seen that it didn't necessarily scare me, but it was just like, well, that's a bit uh, that's a bit of a dead end was I think it's the nine of swords where it basically says that <laughs> there's a catastrophe and there's no way of avoiding it. Something along those lines. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that that and the tower. A lot of the swords yeah, the tower, are like yeah. that. But you can always, I mean, yeah. The, but how the way I would spin that is that then it's a learning experience for us, right? There's a reason we go through what we go through, and then we process that. And either way, it's going to change our lives in a way that it sets us on the right path. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, I was talking. Uh, I was talking with some friends about that the other day. You know that. When you get a little bit older and you have a little bit of perspective, you you realize when you go back to certain events in your life that at the time were horrible that you thought, mm-hmm. you know, it's the end of the world for me. But you go back in time and you realize, you know what, if that wouldn't have happened, oh, yeah. then such and such wouldn't have happened. And you realize that um, even the bad things, uh, like Timmy said, are opportunities for learning and growing. And even if, if if you never had, and JT, you and I have talked about this, yeah. if you never have those bad experiences, then it doesn't make the good experiences mean as much. Absolutely. You've got to have both sides. Exactly. We, we had this uh, conversation, uh, Dave, before, so it shows that great minds think alike. And that, right. was, that was what I said. Uh, when I was younger, so let's say when I was in my 20s or even early 30s, if you said to me, oh, you can go back and start all over again. I probably would have been tempted to, but as I've aged, I've just said no, because my journey has led me to the person I am now. And the person mm-hmm. I am now, I quite like. I, I quite like those life journeys. And, and as you say, Timmy, it's absolutely right. I mean, some of the times that I've suffered or struggled, it's taught me lessons that I needed to learn, or it's shown, for example, uh, me and my partner were talking the other day about money. And she said to me, oh, well, maybe you can go to work uh, with my organization when they start hiring again, and that way you can have some money. And I, I said to her, I said, look, I'm more concerned about you and just the household. As long as that's taken care of, I've really, what this has really sunk into me is, I, I knew it, but it's just reminded me how little I actually really need to be happy. Mm-hmm. As you were saying before, Dave, about enjoying what you do and everything else, as far as a, an enjoyment perspective, I've never been happier with what I'm doing now in my life. I, I've really enjoyed this journey that I've taken. And connecting with new people like Timmy, uh, catching up with old friends like Scott and and getting to meet you as well, Dave. It's just it's an amazing journey. And I've said it time and time again, even if you would have said to me in March or April, oh, you're going to do this. And by the end of the 
I would have laughed at you. I would have said, there's no way I'm going to do that. I, I'd kind of had inklings of doing a podcast, but I'd never really given it serious thoughts. So at the end of the day, to me, all of those, every step along the path is what leads me to where I am now. And I believe that it's all happened for a reason. I didn't necessarily see it at the time, but I do now. Yeah, I agree. I agree, man. I um, when I see, When I see repeating numbers... I always get the intuition that like that's the universe telling me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so it's funny when those things happen, what exactly I'm doing when those things happen. And a lot of times I'm doing things that are, you know, I'm either with my kids, raising my children, or I'm working on uh, podcast stuff. These are all things that are bringing joy into my life. And so when I get those little synchronicities and things like that, it just reaffirms to me that that I'm following my intuition that I and that I'm on the right path and I don't necessarily know where this where this path is going to lead me to in the end, but I know that I'm on the right path. And I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be fun if you did know where it was leading at the end. Right, absolutely. That's the it's what's that they say? It's the journey, not the oh, destination. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, listen, guys, I gotta get I gotta get up there and uh, and feed my kids here yeah. pretty shortly. F f fair enough. What I'll do is I'll go ahead and I'll give you my predictions for twenty twenty one, so you can have a bit of a chuckle before you Let's go. Let's hear it. Yeah, and then uh, what I'll do, Timmy, if you've got to go too, I fully understand, and I can cover the rest of the stuff off the air if you want to hang around. All good. But um, we'll we'll start with my predictions. I tried to not be too negative. Some of these are kind of they're not necessarily predictions. It's more like all indications point me towards this. So it's okay. kind of, yeah. So the first one is that I think that gold's going to hit a record high in 2021. I think it's going to continue to head the direction it's been going. It went over $3,000 an ounce here in New Zealand a few times. Uh, and I never thought uh, 10 years ago you'd see that. So I think that gold's going to hit another record high at least once. I think that there's going to be a continued and increasing anti-China sentiment in the West. I think that countries in general and a lot of the populations are going to be more and more anti-China. Uh, I think that we're going to continue to see meteorological records broken. They're already saying that 2020 is going to be one of the hottest years on record, so I don't see any reason that's going to change. Here's a good here's a good sports one for you, Dave, to have a laugh at me. So I right. see the Chiefs and the Seahawks in the Super Bowl, and full disclosure, okay. I'm a big Seahawk fan, so... Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but that that's the... I've, I've got a root for the Seahawks, but the Chiefs definitely look like the class of the AFC right now. I think that uh, COVID is going to ebb as we approach mid-year. So once we get back into warmer weather in the Northern Hemisphere, I think that the COVID numbers are finally going to start to drop off in Europe and the U.S. I think that international travel is not going to return to normal this year, definitely. So I don't see people doing things like going on vacation and that. I think that what the flip side to that is you'll see much more traveling within countries, within states. And people spending locally, which, again, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that Bitcoin's going to go over $30,000 US at some point. It's about 23000 right now. I think that casinos are going to have a record year, especially in the US. I think that a lot of people have got like a pent-up urge to do things. And I believe in cycles. And at the end of the Great Depression, when that came to an end, people were really excited about doing things like dressing up to do anything. To go out to dinner, they'd wear a tuxedo and dresses and really try and dress up. So I think that you're going to see a good bit of that this year, people doing things like spending money on casinos, enjoying gambling. I also think that streaming's here to stay. I think that this is basically, from now on, I think that streaming is just going to start surpassing 
it, it was already headed that way, but I think that this was the nail in the coffin for kind of your traditional news stations and TV stations. And I think that movie theaters home, too. Yeah, movie movie theaters. I think personally, once COVID kind of mitigates, I think they'll have a bit of a bounce. But I think the longer term is that it's just going to be people missing going to the movies. But I think over the longer term, yeah, I think that theaters are on the way out. And it's already happening. I mean, things like Disney and several of the other, they just scuppered doing releases in the theaters and they just went straight to streaming with movies like Mulan. And then the last one is that I think working from home is here to stay. I think a lot of employers have worked out that it's a lot less costly to pay people to yeah. stay home. And uh, especially companies that have shed a lot of employees, I think that they'll be looking to get out of their uh, their commercial space and you know, stop paying rent on that and that they just start having more and more people work from home wherever they can. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a good thing. Oh, I don't I, I think don't so disagree. Too. Yeah. Nobody I, likes I, the commutes. Yeah. It's better I, for everyone's well-being, I think. Have you been teaching online, Timmy? Oh, yeah. I have been yeah, teaching all online it's, since whatever, March 16th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's kind of a unique challenge, don't you think? Yeah, how do you find it for guitar because I think voice is kind of not ideal of course it's ideal to do it in person but um vocally it's a little bit easier i think piano is really tricky to teach online very tricky Uh, guitar is really tricky if you have somebody that is very new to the instrument Mm -hmm. Um, because the thing about learning guitar is like when you're new like if you if you try to if you learn how to play the piano chances are you're starting out with a piano that's in tune yeah oh yeah Whereas with a guitar, it's a constant challenge, especially if you're new to it. Uh, just learning how to tune your guitar is a challenge. And right. so I'm finding that with, with students that are very new to the instrument, it's very, very challenging to do it over Zoom. Now, I can't even imagine. <laughs> with students that already have a, a decent understanding of things, um, Zoom is usually okay. But that being said, oh, man, I sure do miss seeing my students in person. I bet. I do too. I don't miss, you know, getting home so late. I don't know if your schedule has like changed, but I sometimes wouldn't get home till like nine 30 at night, but now I can consult, I can start earlier and then I can finish earlier, you know? So the latest day I'm teaching usually is like seven 15 now, which is a miracle kind of. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's like kind of maybe the other silver lining with the whole COVID thing is that families, whether they necessarily wanted to or not are spending more time with one another and mm-hmm. we have got we have gotten so far away of that, especially in the United States. Everything is go go go, and you're working all the time. And so that's kind of been a positive thing that I have observed is just um, get people are getting getting down to the bare necessities because COVID has kind of forced us to do that, and yeah. really mm-hmm. really forced us to really kind of think about what's really important in our lives. I fully agree. And and as with so many things, as Timmy said, as you've said, Dave, as I've uh, gotten older and hopefully a little wiser, so many things are have a dual edge. It's not just, oh, this is terrible, uh, but there's always a positive to it. And like you say, I think that this is a real positive. And I've seen it as well. I've, this is not that I was so heavily on social media last year, but this year I saw a lot of people basically say at Christmas and that that they are going to have a hiatus and spend it with their family. And to me, mm. that was awesome. You know, I thought that was a really brilliant outcome because generally there'll be people posting stuff on Christmas Day and everything else just to see people say, I'm taking a step away for a few days. Yeah, I thought that was really positive. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've kind of forced myself to step away from social media a bit this this year as well. I I deleted Facebook off my phone because I was spending way too much time scrolling through my feed. And I'm glad that I did because it's allowed me to spend my time a little bit more wisely and focus on things that deserve more of my attention. Of course. Mm -hmm. I think all your predictions are pretty solid, JT. Like I I do too. Yeah, I mean I wish they were I, a bit I, more positive, but <laughs> Well, that's okay. Hey, at least we ended it on a positive note. Yeah. And again, to me, if you there are some of the listeners' predictions are pretty uh pretty dire in comparison and there's lots of stuff <laughs> oh. going on. Yeah, there's lots of stuff going on around on the internet. But again, I think any time that you're in a time like this, people either see it as there's what i'm what i'm trying to say is people very rarely in a time like this like what 2020 2020 has been they very rarely see the middle ground they either tend to think 2021 is going to be more of the same and worse or they think 2021 is going to be like an epiphany moment very few people kind of see a middle road when you're in Mm. such extreme times and again if you go back to like predictions in 1945 I'm sure it was kind of the same thing. It was either going to be a new golden age or it's going to be uh, more of the same, more world war. And that, but that's just my feeling. I think that's part of human nature. Yeah. You know, I, I just pray that we can get through this, uh, this rough patch without a big war breaking out, because I feel like if we can just get to the other side of it, Mm -hmm. I feel like things are going to, to really become more positive. But as, as all three of us have hinted at, you know, we've got some demons that we need to deal with first. Well, uh, when when this episode comes out, then Dave, make sure that you zone in and listen to the predictions of Matthias Stormberger, because um, unfortunately, he doesn't quite see it that way. And his is really interesting. <laughs> and it's someone that most people have never heard of. Um, and I was introduced to him through John Hogue. It, it is a really fascinating one, and I'm going to cover it over. But yeah, uh, look, I always, as the old saying says, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And I'm yep. going to make sure that I'm positive. But um, yeah, unfortunately, he, he does see that big war. Hopefully he's wrong. That's all yeah, I, to say. I hope so. And you yeah. know, if nothing else, if nothing else, I'm glad that I get to spend the apocalypse with all you fine people. Hey, I agree. I couldn't ask for a better. I couldn't ask for a better panel. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, oh, man, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. No, no worries, Dave. You're welcome anytime. And uh, absolutely, thanks, thanks so much. And we'll we'll keep in touch. Absolutely, Timmy. It was nice to meet you too. It and, was uh, so nice to meet you. And as soon as I uh, decide to jump over the hump and get and get a reading, you will be the person that I that I talk to. I promise. Or any any time, you just let me know. All right. Well, maybe hopefully that hopefully 2021 is holding a reading for me in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. All you right, guys Dave. have a great evening. Take care, Dave. Bye. Right. Bye bye.